I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Ooh. Gentlemen, we are live. I can set it from over here. I can still say it, right? Yeah, you should still be saying it. And I was going to go, ooh, that was smooth. Ooh. But then I forgot your gentleman. Gentleman. Where? We are. Uh, there are several gentlemen in this room. Prove Man, it. prove it. There ain't one in this room. There's a ginger, and that is the closest thing we have. <laughs> I don't <laughs> so, know about that. I trimmed my beard so somebody might say I look like a gentleman now rather than a fucking terrorist. I mean, you, you do look a little cleaned up. I uh, do. It's just time. So I want to uh, get talking about Mr. Chris Fudal, our guest here tonight. Before we do that, man, I got to give a, a great shout out to Option Studios. Option Studios is a sponsor of Gravity Lab Radio. They actually created our logo, Monty. So if you check it out, gravitylabradio.com, little logo. There's a couple hats out there. Nick, Nick, you have one, don't you? I do have that hat, and mine is a one of a kind. And I have that hat, which also makes mine one of a kind because there's only a third one. And the third one's sitting next to me. And uh, if you pay really close attention, we have three different race hats. And you can just figure that out when you see it. That's all I'll tell you. So are they fast hats? That's what I'm saying. Uh, Nick, do you think we should sell these hats yet? Uh, I don't know. I bet you I bet you some people would want one. So, man, Option Studios, uh, they designed this logo. Actually, I'm about to hit them up. I'm considering hitting them up. I'm thinking about ordering Gravity Lab Radio hats. If you guys and gals are interested, hit me up. Send me an email. Uh, Monty at GravityLabRadio.com is, is the website or the uh, podcast email. Uh, let me know on Facebook, whatever. But uh, right now, Option Studios is actually just finishing and putting together the Rating Center new hat. We'll release that new hat in the next, oh, uh, few days, either end of this week, beginning of next week. We'll take pre-orders, and I will be placing those orders next week. So uh, check out check it out when you get a chance. Really, really cheesy, brief uh, glimpse. If you're watching on the internet, you can barely see it, and that's perfect because uh, it's a piece of paper taped to my hat. Uh, safety pin. <laughs> uh, but check out uh, Option Studios. They do awesome, awesome design work. They're doing a lot of jerseys. Uh, stuff for the Red Bull Air Force is one of their more recent clients. Uh, another thing of PD going in. A bunch, a bunch of great folks. So if you need op- if you need jerseys, if you need wind blades, if you need anything, stickers, business cards, Option Studios does it all, man. Uh, you got some of their shit, don't you? I've got a lot of their stuff, yeah. yeah. I got uh, that SSK jersey real recently. Shout out to SSK. By the way, who's SSK? Someone gonna drink? <laughs> <laughs> SSK is the service center for Cypress and LNB altimeters based in the United States, and also distributor, I think. Yeah, yeah, distribution center mm-hmm. for Aerotech. But they, you know, that they sponsored our uh, our event this this past weekend, uh. Look, looking to build episode two. They sent us a whole bunch of smoke shirts, hats, jerseys, banners, all sorts of stuff. They really hooked it up. Did you guys put a video together for that? I'm working on it. All right. I'm looking forward to seeing it, man. I'm looking forward to sharing that. But uh, SSK jersey. The jersey is super nice. I think that it might be the uh, version three of the jersey. No, still not? Three's not out. <laughs> well, shit. It's version two then because yeah. that thing feels good. Yeah. Adam sent me some mock-ups of version 3.0. Uh, maybe TRC's <laughs> new jersey will be in 3.0. Maybe. Well, it's still the nicest jersey I, that I own. And I have... Not going to bash the company whose jersey I'm wearing right now, but I have a lot <laughs> of these jerseys, and uh, 
Man, those ones feel good. Dude, I'll straight up say right now, manufacturing makes a nice jersey. And that's the jersey you're wearing right now. Truth. They make a nice jersey. They're a quality jersey. There's a reason jerseys became popular in the sport. And manufacturing was probably the biggest of the trend centers, along with Skydive Dubai, Skydive Space Land, Big DZ's making it happen. And as nice as those are, Chris, you're wearing an Option Studios jersey actually made and graphic. How do you feel about them? I love these jerseys. Yeah. The vented panels on the sides, like I can wear this thing sleeves down even in the dead heat of the summer today, and I was comfortable. So they're super, super nice. Very well made. Doesn't matter if you want to order one. It doesn't matter if you want to order 500. Option Studios will help you from the graphic design, from the ground up, all the way through the production. This is what they do. This is who they are. Uh, that company is actually doing so well with jersey design. They're expanding their team right now. They're expanding their graphic design team, and we'll see more people on there. And uh, I'll just say, and I cannot say anything other than that, maybe one of our friends will soon be also designing for Option Studios. Maybe I'll say I, I know who that friend is. Yeah? I think. Yeah. I'm curious now. Now I got to know. Um, I guys, gals, go to optionstudios.com, pullupcords.com. You can check them out on my Facebook page or on our Facebook page. You can see it in the description of the show. They're actually tagged. Optionstudios.com, pullupcords.com for everything you need for graphic design. Adam Buckner is a genius. Thank you for all the fucking great work you've done with us, buddy. Mr. Fidala, what the fuck is up? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. First of all, watch this, Nick. Were you going to assault assault our guests? I was going to punch him in the nuts. I really wasn't going to punch you in the nuts, was I, Chris? No, you weren't, but you were definitely going to get the flinch out of me that you got. That's a game that I just don't like to play. I never should have started it. Oh, man. Yeah, if you start it, fuck you. It's your own fault. But I think that there's got to be, before <laughs> before someone punches someone else in the dick, I think you just got to like make it clear that, like, yeah, that's a game when I play it. Yeah, and I ask, and you know me well. I don't play the game with people who won't play it. And if people want to play the game, I'll tell them. It, you just swung at me. You want to play the game. If you want to play, let's go. It's on. Not a fan. Zach Boyd, dude. Oh, my God. That little ship. He put me down one day in the middle of a crowd, <laughs> reached around and took a ninja shot at me. And so is Mr. Fudala. Yep. Uh, Chris Fudala, Jay Stokes, and I, last week in the middle of a classroom, sitting there talking to each other. And Chris reaches around and doubles me over. I'm like, oh, you son of a bitch. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. So uh, welcome, Mr. Fudala. How are you doing? Thank you, DJ. I'm doing good. Dude, Chris, you recently celebrated uh, what some might consider a major landmark in their skydiving career. Everybody should consider it a major landmark in their skydiving career. Well, some people don't know what it is. Some people don't understand yeah. the process, so they, they wouldn't necessarily consider that. Anybody who knows what you've done, yes. What, what, what did you recently do? I recently attained the rating of coach examiner. And, uh, dude, I got to tell you, it's meaningful. I don't know if you realize I've helped train some examiners over my life. I did a lot of Hank's final sign-offs, but I didn't do most of his training. Fudal is actually the first guy I got to train beginning to end. Uh, I did your coach course, or did somebody else? Nope, that's correct. You did my coach course. Your uh, AFF course? Did my AFF course. You did. I think every course I've ever taken was from you. And that's, and man, I, I can't compare myself to Jay Stokes because uh, just he's an immense man, but that's what Jay Stokes was to me, was the guy who trained me to do everything. So, so to take this journey with you, buddy, has been fucking awesome it's been a hell of a ride that's for sure so that's what i want to talk about tonight is that journey i first met you as a fun jumper of probably 20 jumps i think you're i don't always get to know everybody before they have a license uh, because there's so many people who pass through certainly you and i ran into each other pretty quickly you were a nice enough fella uh it really seemed like you were gonna stick around 
Um, not everybody does, and not everybody who you think will does. Yeah. But I watched you go from this kid without a license to a guy who trains those who help you get your license. Yeah. That's a journey I want to take you on today. It's I'm a young jumper listening to the show. I'm a really experienced guy listening to the show where I've never made a skydive. How do I go from being that guy who wants to live the dream to... It's so funny, Nick. They call our job living the dream. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nightmares are dreamed after all, right? Fair enough, yeah. Man, I, th- I think we're pretty spoiled. Oh, it's the coolest fucking job it, I've ever it really had. Is. Even yeah. on a hard day, man. God, it's fucking neat. Oh, I agree. When I have a super shitty day on the drop zone and they happen, I remind myself one thing. This is a shitty day? <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Because I'm still skydiving. I'm still on the drop zone. I'm still around my homies. It, it's the coolest job I've ever had. Yeah. So where did you come from and how does it take to become what you've done? What do you do besides Coach Examiner? Uh, I'm also an AFF instructor. Uh, recently, I got uh, signed off to start flying video for Mr. Nick Lott over there. Um, still working working on getting that polished up, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much about all I do on the drop zone. Teaching people and flying video and chasing tandems. And so you're an instructor, and in Spaceland, instructors are also coaches because we teach all levels. Correct. You're a videographer, and you've got Nick's stamp of approval, and, and Nick, I really appreciate what you do in the video department. When I moved here, Eric Boyd held a very high standard to what we needed to do. I had to show him so many videos. He grabbed a tape of mine. I just handed it to him. And he randomly went, yeah, it was a tape, Chris. Fucking laugh at me. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and he randomly fast-forwarded and rewound to different videos and just saw how my quality was. And he goes, oh, dude, you shoot a tight video. We're good to go. And for many years, we kept that high standard. And somewhere, it fell away. And that's when you took over. It's not when it fell away. <laughs> that's when you took over, when everything went to shit. <laughs> but when you took over, it was it was... There wasn't a lot of a standard. No, there really wasn't. I, I don't think there was anyone. Uh, when I showed up, there wasn't anyone who... Ori Cooper watched one of my videos and was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but it wasn't like... It wasn't uh, really his job to be doing that, I don't think. No. I don't think there was anyone managing the department. It was just like, whoever's showing up, as soon as they're, uh, you know, as soon as they're hired, as soon as Jason told them yes in, in those days, then, yeah, you just got in rotation. And I think that uh, it seems like even when, when people know that their video is being watched by someone who's not in, in charge, but someone who is going to have an opinion about it, that everybody tries a little harder and that everybody tries to, you know, to, to rise to the occasion and rise to the standards that the more experienced guys are trying to, uh, to set. And I didn't feel like there was a huge standard when I showed up, which was great because I sucked at shooting video when I first <laughs> showed up. But uh, I've learned a lot, and uh, I'm happy to uh, to be able to feel like I've uh, done a bit to improve the uh, the video department there. I think you've done a tremendous job, and that's back to Chris. You've met that standard, and the standard I think you I, I would describe a little bit differently than you is Chris gives a fuck about how he shoots video because you give a fuck about how the video looks. And I think that 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 might be true. But there also are people who just give a fuck because it's the right thing to do, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Of, like, yeah. it doesn't matter whether or not someone's watching, they're interested in doing a better job. Yeah. And um, Chris has certainly done, you know, when, when Chris comes with criticisms of his own work, that's really meaningful to me. Of It's like, oh, yeah, I did this, but I really want to work on this and work on this. And it's like, cool, man, I'm glad you noticed. I'm glad you looked at it. Yeah. Because there are people that don't even watch their videos. 
And we, we've, we've, we have, I try to, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and it's easy if yeah. you think about it, like anyone with the intention to watch their videos is going to be able to see them because yeah. those videos live on the computer forever. And today we were shut down for five hours of the day yeah. and I didn't see many videographers coming in to look at their stuff. So some, some people do, some people don't, right. but, uh, we just recently brought on four, four new videographers, Glenn, you know, Glenno. Yeah. Mr. Chris Fudala. Yeah. Mr. Ass Tattoo. Uh, Woodberry, a.k.a. Blindberry. You know she almost <laughs> hit the arrow the other day? Yeah, it's because you can't fucking see anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what, you can't see an arrow until the last second, uh, Blindberry? <laughs> and then uh, Cody. Cody's our fourth. <sighs> and so I've really tried to take a chill pill and relax for a couple of weeks and let people kind of get into the groove of, of what it's like to, to shoot video. And then uh, we're going to start hammering back down on a few things pretty soon here. But I don't think that it's... Uh, to me, it's easier to make critiques when someone's you know, kind of found a flow at least. And yeah. now we can change small things instead of trying to drill every little thing in there. That I, I think, if, I mean, just like teaching a course, if you were to give someone too many things to focus on at once, then they're not going to do an exceptional job at improving any of those things. Yeah. But now that I don't have to, you know, teach these people what the flow is and how it feels, then we can sit down and, you know, pick things apart a little bit and, and uh, decide on some things to, to make better. I think it makes a lot more sense. Give a person a chance to self-critique. And maybe if you hire somebody early on and you give them a criticism, you're, di you're distracting from the thing they're working on. And we're, most of us are smart enough and most of us are honest enough with ourselves to know what we do and should need to fix. Now the question is, do we care? That's what you alluded to a little bit ago. Some people don't care. Um, and, man, I've made a couple notes over here. Uh, Chris, this is, it's, uh, Chris is a guy who cares. You give a shit. Most of the time. Most of the time. No, not always. Time. <laughs> not always. And we're going to talk about some of that not always today. Not always. So you do all these things. Where the fuck did you come from? You started skydiving when? Uh, November 18th, 2012. What brought you on onto the drop zone? What made you get there besides your car? Uh, it, originally it was a date. It was like, hey, let's go out on a date. What we was his name? Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Her name was Taylor. Uh, no, originally it was a date. We were having some uh, struggles at that point in time in our life, and we obviously know where that ended up. Uh, well, we know there were struggles. She was dating you. Of course. <laughs> I mean. Our new Ben Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Uh, oh, hug Ben Nelson. What? Yes, definitely <laughs> hug Ben Nelson. He really loves it. Uh, anyways, I uh, went up on my first tandem, and I could not get the gear off fast enough to go in and take advantage of the $99, uh, $99 second jump, and landed from that jump. Couldn't get the gear off fast enough to go start ground school, and so far, you guys haven't kicked me off the drop zone yet. We tried. What A question that I, I don't always ask people, and I've heard your story a bunch because we share it together in class. Yeah. But the one thing I never asked you is, after you landed from that first jump, what was it that made you want to do it more? Um, the easiest words are, it was, it was the first time I remember being out of my own head long enough to focus on just what was going on right now. Like, the second that my feet left the, air, the side of that aircraft, nothing else mattered anymore except for what was going on right now now here and in the moment and i wanted to chase that feeling over and over and over again and 1600 jumps later i have still been able to do it so 
uh, something I'm always afraid to do during these is make notes sometimes. <laughs> Chris and I live in a classroom together at days where he just watches me take notes of everything everybody says. So he actually, I can make notes and he knows I'm listening to him. So tonight yeah. I'm going to try something different and go somewhere. Yeah, I don't think I've tried to take notes on the podcast. Huh. I actually have something different tonight than I've ever done, and I have a minor roadmap. I actually have times and goals for times. Oh, okay, yeah, sweet. So, and that's well, let me know if I ruin it for you, dude. There's no ruining it. I'm not going to try to go for these goals. I'm just going to see what happens compared to them. So, um, I'm not really following <laughs> any rules. I'm just seeing how bad I break the fucking rules. Well, <laughs> why does this sound like a, a score sheet? Unsat, <laughs> uh, you fail. <laughs> goals reviewed and compared to prior performance or something oh like that. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> score sheets. Uh, you, you've done a coach course. All of us in this room has and remember the score sheet for your ground evals goals reviewed and compared to performance did you review well <laughs> yeah no you didn't uh nope. so chris you you made that first jump and it's an inner piece and really i'm looking at a room full of people who are in their head way too much you're an engineer <laughs> justin you overthink that, oh yeah that's it's everything a, it's the nature <laughs> mr lot i've watched you work on things and to say you overthink is probably the nicest thing i could say that's about a that. very fair statement you I, i'm a massive overthinker and I think you and I could compete at that. You are too, and, and all of us. So what's skydiving bring you? No, that first jump, not today. Today it might be the same, it might be different, but what's it bring you, Justin? Um, for me, really, uh, it brings me that calm place where um, I can still bring that focus to what I'm doing on the ground and in the airplane, um, but in free fall, it, it, it's very calming for me because I have a singular focus and you know, focus on what I'm doing or how I'm coaching this person and what they're doing. Um, it really it takes me kind of out of my own head and into what I'm doing at the moment. So I, I definitely have never felt unique feeling this way. But Nick, what about you? I think that that's probably what got me started in skydiving. Uh -huh. Is that inability to? I, I was going through a breakup when I started skydiving. I was pretty sad, and uh, it. D didn't let me think about anything other than skydiving. You know, I couldn't I couldn't be skydiving and think about my problems, you know. And uh so that's where it started was just like this is great. This steals my brain away from anything other than this. And uh then I think that I I started liking it for the sport and when I realized it was something that I sucked at and didn't want to suck at anymore, then I think that that's what uh made me want to do it. But at first, it was definitely the, uh, the being present, like what Chris said. It's, it's always interesting, man, and I challenge anybody, ask your friends what first made them stay and what first got them hooked, and ask your friends what gets them hooked today. And uh, you'll be amazed at some of the stories and friendships that evolve from that one question. And, and Chris, I want to come bring that question right back to you. Now it's got you back to your second jump. Now it's got you signing up for school. What makes you continue to do it? Um, the easiest, I guess the easiest way to describe it was that there, that there was always a goal. Uh, Nick and I were, uh, or Nick was eating dinner a minute ago and, you know, we were talking about this, uh, just like kind of briefly. And I remember my video guy, Boston, do you remember Boston? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This thing, yeah. I remember him blowing my mind apart by, you know, saying, this is you. I can fly around you this way. I can fly around you this way and I can fly around you this way. And I can do it in any orientation that I want. And my mind exploded. And I was like, okay, I want to be there one day. It, I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what, 
where this road is going to take me, but I want to do that someday. I want to be able to say that. So now you're through your student program. You're, you're, a, fun, you're a new jumper. Mm-hmm. What were you doing for work at this point? What were you doing for your job? Ah, I was working for uh, Silver Eagle Distributors. I was driving a beer truck, a uh, 16-bay keg truck. Yeah. You know the big red truck right rolling down the road with the Budweiser sign on it? Put smiles on people's faces as soon as it pulls up. Yeah, that was what I did. Yeah, and, and it's so funny to listen. Silver Eagle Creek Distributor, right? Silver Eagle Distributors. That's what I said. Silver <laughs> Eagle Distributors. Uh, you just should say I worked for Budweiser because no matter how you explain it, said and done, that's what you notice. I drove the Budweiser truck, bro. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were the beer guy. And you very quickly became popular because you had access to beer at affordable prices. Mm-hmm. And you paid your beer fines like a champ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. What rating did you just get? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Well, well, you just got your examiner rating. What do you owe? Lots of beer. Lots of beer. Because you owe beer for about the past three or four events. Probably, yes. And then in, what, two weeks, I'll owe another case of beer. <laughs> yes. And so you said to pay for them all, you will buy a? I am going to buy a keg. And I said, deal, but you have to pay for it when? I'm going to bring it to... The film festival. Oh, shit. October 20th film <laughs> festival. So, guys and gals, October 20th film festival, when you drink that nice, fucking cold, refreshing beer, thank Mr. Chris Fudala for it because he's going to be the guy behind the beer. You started your skydiving career with beer and you're continuing the next chapter, being the beer guy again. Yeah. So, since Although, you brought up the film festival, oh, sorry. Finish what you're going to say. I was like, I don't think I can throw kegs like I used to anymore. So, I'm probably just going to roll it across the ground for how, a while. How heavy is a full keg? Uh, 163. 163 pounds? Huh. Pussy-ass shit. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> all right. No, I, I carry like that like this. I you squat press it 180 times all day long and run it up the stairs. Okay. It sounds Br- like fun for him. <laughs> Bring me a full one. <laughs> you can fill it with water or whatever you want. But uh, you brought up the film festival. So there was a video in uh, last year's film festival featuring you. Yeah. W- why don't you uh, tell everybody about that video? Oh, uh, that video. That was a lot of fun. Um Myself and Bobby McCormick, uh, we were sitting out. On what the does back- Bobby McCormick do, for those who don't know him? Bobby McCormick is a tattoo artist. Uh, he was also one of my students. And we were drinking beers on the back porch after, uh, after a day of skydiving, and we just got this random idea. You know, how cool would it be to do a tattoo in free fall? And that was just the first generation of it. And so we Googled it and YouTubed it and found out that it had been done and that it was possible. And then... More renditions of this idea came, and it started like, let's do a smiley face. Let's do something other than just a random scratch on my skin. Um, as the renditions continued on, uh, my thousand skydive was coming up, and I got the idea, why don't we do the tattoo on my 1,000 skydive and do a 1,000? And you know, we had to re- redo that idea some more, and he's like, why don't we just do a 1K? That's four easy lines, very easy to do with a simple tattoo machine. And I was like, okay. And he can build. He builds all his own tattoo machines, and or at least he built that tattoo machine. Um, <coughs> pardon me. And then we ended up designing a full arm piece that he uh, put on my forearm over here. And then we just showed up at the drop zone and one so shot, one kill. You did the bulk of the tattoo in the in day, the shot, right? That's correct. Yeah. And then came out. And how many jumps did he have at this time? Uh, at that time, I think that was his like two hundred and fourth jump. Okay, so yeah. he's got 200 jumps. You've got yep. you're doing your thousandth jump. Yep. And uh, what was it like getting tattooed in free fall? 
to be perfectly honest, I don't remember even feeling it. I was so busy concentrating on flying the piece and keeping it stable so that he could, he could, you know, do his work. How how were you guys gripped with one another? Uh, I had my forearm pretty much right underneath here, and he used one hand to keep my arm stable and the other hand to tattoo. I was holding onto his shoulder up here and then just flying the piece like that. Was it difficult to fly? Was it difficult to stay together, or did it did it feel pretty? No, normal? it actually wasn't. Uh, if you saw the video, like it's going straight down and it's not moving. Like it, I thought it was going to be much more difficult to control to keep it from spinning around or anything like that. Here is the video. Oh, speaking of the double, we were actually I was talking to Bobby and asking uh, him about this, and one of the things he said the hardest part was as he was trying to write your angle of your arm changes as you're writing or drawing, and that would affect how he was holding the pen, and that would want to move it. So he said the only hard part he had was was tattooing. So do you know how he rigged it up, the the machine to run in free fall? Was it attached to a battery? Like, yeah. Were there cables involved? Was it all like no, one thing a, that you could pass from one hand to the other? No, it was a 9-volt battery uh, with a toggle switch kind of adapter on there. He cut the, the fingertips off of a glove so he could wrap the actual needle. And... Uh, we would, he would do a couple dips like right, bef- right on the blue light, and just get some ink into the into the needle, put the put the finger part over the over the needle real quick, jump out, and just to protect the ink, yeah. it worked. <laughs> I love the shots of you guys in the tattoo parlor getting all geared up. It's uh, he does a tremendous job. If you can find his, what's the name of his tattoo company? Hold fast tattoos. And definitely check them out. If you want anything with lines in it, if you want anything with any geometry in it, he does great work no matter what, but he does exceptionally strong lines. He's, he's, he's an absolutely talented guy. So definitely checking him out. Um, if Justin, you can find, does he have a Facebook page for just the tattoo part or just his name? Um, it's over I off Vanessa remember. Parkway in 45. Okay. Yeah, it, I think his... Uh, I'll look it up. His... Uh, Instagram handle is Bobby MacArt. And if you can't figure it out and you jump at Scott Ice Baseland Houston, just ask who the tattoo guy who jumps there is. And a lot of the staff and a lot of our fun jumpers have gotten artwork by Bobby. He does a fucking badass job. So we're I'm impressed by how stable he was. 200 jumps doing that in free fall. Yeah. God, I was such a bad skydiver <laughs> at 200 jumps. Right. It was Same terrible. Same here. I remember my 200th jump because I was supposed to be flying into this round on my belly and I sank out instead. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, love it when small people sink out. <laughs> Man, so you, you now you're skydiving. We, we kind of were at where you were a licensed skydiver. And as a licensed skydiver, at some point you decide, fuck this. I'm living the American dream as far as we're supposed to live life a certain way. We're supposed to follow sure. a certain pattern. And I, I, I'm done. I want to actually skydive full time. At what point in your life did you realize, and in your jump life, how many jumps did you have? Oh man, I can't remember how many jumps I had exactly. Uh, it was somewhere between 150 and 250. I was right around the same time that I uh, started getting to where I wanted to earn the coach rating, and I realized, oh man, I really enjoy this teaching stuff, and I really enjoy skydiving. And there's a way for me to do both. And at the time, I was still working as, as a packer on the uh, packing mat. So I was making good money just on the weekends. Uh, just on the weekends alone, I was making a pretty good paycheck. And so I was like, I could do this full time and be a coach and skydive all the time. And that'll be awesome. So actually, I forget this. I got to go backwards for a second. You were a part-time packer before you were a full-time packer. Correct. 
man, I completely forgot. So what actually, why did you start packing part-time? Extra jump money. Yeah. It was an easy way for me to uh, take my paycheck from driving beer trucks and just keep that in my paycheck. And everything that I earned on the packing mat went straight into my jump account. So I never had to, never had to transfer money from one account to the other. It was awesome. And if you want to get into skydiving, it really is a good sneak peek. Finding a drop zone who needs a part-time packer on weekends, plenty of them do. And uh, it'll give you a taste of what it's like. And I'd do a season of it. How long, how long were you part-time? Uh, Two months. <laughs> huh. uh, no, I think I, did, uh, I think I did about half of a season mm-hmm. part-time. Maybe it was a se- maybe it was a full season, part time before I cut away and went full time. Now, ooh, there's a little bit more scotch than I meant to at once. It's only the top twenty five select casts I've, by the Balvini. Oh, that's a good Balvini too. <laughs> you know, I've never once had a shot of or a glass of scotch. Never. That is a sipping scotch, and that gulp right there. What does it do? What does it feel like? I don't know. There's like some gas pockets on the back of underneath my tongue, and they're just blah, 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 bubbling. Well, if you ever were going to try one, why not spoil yourself with the three hundred dollar bottle? Yeah, dude, that is it is a it's a good bottle. <laughs> maybe at the film festival, maybe I'll I'll have a. I just you just sip scotch. Yeah. No one's doing shots of scotch. Scotchy scotch scotch. Here um, it goes down. Yeah, <laughs> down into my belly. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure people are doing shots of scotch because when the scotch just isn't that good, shooting it's the best way to get the alcohol in you. Shout out to Johnny Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Is that shitty scotch? I don't even know the joke. I don't even know. So Johnny Walker uh, depends on a which Johnny Walker it is yeah, on how definitely. good the scotch is or isn't. But some of your cheaper Johnny Walkers are just your cheap. They're, they're your nice cheap scotches. Is what they are. So a. a I would call him a scotch connoisseur, which is a nice way of saying a, cotch, a scotch snob. Is, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Scotch? Scotch? Scotch snob? Scotch snob? Cock snob. Thanks, Justin. Um, they, they would make fun of Johnny Walker. Yeah, we went to a homeboy's wedding. What was his name? Peterson's. Uh, they had an open bar, and Johnny Walker Black Label is what they were serving the open bar. And I was like, fucking, yeah, I'm happy with this, especially because it was free. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not a bad scotch. Um, I forget where we got from scotch for. Oh, I choked on my scotch. <laughs> Oops. That's where we went. And hey, will you hand me that bottle of Deanston, please? Um, so now you're a part-time uh, packer. Uh, how many jumps did you have when you started packing part-time? Oh, less than less than fifty. I don't think I even had my B license at that point. Uh, I had originally asked because Jason Hyder was still uh, the drop zone manager at the time, and I'd asked him if he had any part time work, you know, during the weekends that you know I wouldn't mind filling in for a Saturday or a Sunday, you know. And I started out doing the hangar master thing, you know, wrangling the tandem students, getting them over to the benches, making sure they're getting suited up, uh, and then Tammy. Uh, that was back when Tammy was still running the packing mat. Tammy Gertz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know Tammy. She, she needed another packer on the floor, and Jason was like, hey, you really want to earn some money? Uh, pack parachutes on the weekends. He's like, you get off work early enough on three days a week that you can get out here on the weekdays, you know, pack some, uh, you know, pack some parachutes. So at that point, I can't remember if I owned my own parachute yet or not, but I remember... Anytime that I had a chance, I would just go grab a rig off the rack, and I'd pick different sizes on purpose just to make sure that I would never get used to the same size and just 
pack it three or four times. Unpack it, repack it, unpack it, repack it, unpack it, repack it. So you were already packing for fun. Yeah. So fuck it. Yeah. It was easy. <laughs> and then uh, eventually they were like, yeah, go ahead. Jump on. So for, on the for someone who's never uh, worked at a drop zone, how, what's a normal day of pack jobs? Like how many pack jobs would you do in a, in a day at Spaceland when you, when you started? When I when I started, yeah. Let's say you started. You suck at packing. You're kind of slow. How many? What's a, what's so you're Spencer. I was doing like one in fifteen minutes, so I might get one per load. So on an average day for a caravan, on a you know, just a normal day, you know, you'd say what thirty thirty five loads. So I do one per load. Then I got to the point where I was doing two per load. <laughs> just over time, sixty seventy pack jobs a day, just tandems. Just tandems. Damn, a lot of people. I uh, want going backwards to choking on my scotch. I was we were talking about cutting away when you chose to cut away. For I, I get reminded every now and then that we have Wuffo fans, non skydiving fans, and not right. tons of them, but enough that they do ask, "What the fuck do you mean?" So if you have a malfunctioning main parachute, if your main parachute doesn't open well, it's called a malfunction. We cut away by pulling a handle; it gets rid of it. We open our reserve. Uh, metaphorically, we're saying cut away. Life is a malfunction. I don't like it. I'm cutting away, and skydiving is my reserve. And yeah. this is the life I'm going to. I'm getting rid of that life. I'm changing to this life. So you chose to cut away. Uh, before you chose to cut away, you're packing part-time. Right. Uh, I, I would love to emphasize what you just said. I want to learn to pack, or I want to pack. I can make money doing this. Yeah. Then I'm going to practice packing. Yeah. It's not easy work. Who is the hardest-working person on a drop zone on a Saturday, Nick. Yeah, me. That's what you just said. Exactly. Right? <laughs> no, it. man. Packers are they. As far as physical work goes in skydiving, I don't think anybody's got it rougher than a packer. They're almost always the last ones to leave. I mean, the hangar's pretty much waiting for them to finish to to close up. So, I mean, jump staff can be rough. You know, when you're when you're turning fifteen minute loads back to back to back. But once jumping's done, I'm pretty much free to go. But the rigs that have piled up throughout the day because we're really pushing the pace, these guys got to go through all that stuff. And now, you know, that you're in the middle of the day when the plane is still going. I mean, this is my experience, at least when you know that you've got to meet that airplane, there's a gear that you're that you can access that you can only find if you're under pressure. Like if, if you know that you need this rig pack for this plane that's on this call, you're going to get it done. When the plane shuts down and now <laughs> you're not at the mercy of meeting the airplane, man, those that last bit of work, man, that drags on and that's, that's tough. Oh, yeah. I remember many a nights, uh, my second season when I was full-time, many a nights uh, not getting out of the drop zone until probably 10.30 or 11 o'clock because that, that was how long it took us to get that last rig packed up and back on the rack. People bitch all the time. I hear it regularly. Where's my pack rat? Where's my pack rat? He's not here first thing in the morning. And it, it is nice if they're there first thing in the morning. Man, maybe I show up unpacked and I could use you as a packer. That's probably my fault if I show up that way. Um, but realize what Nick just said. How many times, Chris, were you at the drop zone an hour to an hour and a half after sunset? During the summer, every Saturday. At least every Saturday. Two hours just after sunset? At least. How many times have you gone to bed on a Monday and your hands are legitimately, literally swollen? You can see the size of them. Yeah, every <laughs> Monday. And the good thing about it was I was working on a keg truck. Kegs are kept at 36 degrees on the inside of that truck. <laughs> I couldn't feel a thing once I started working. <laughs> it worked great, man. Man, work ices my hands. My other work makes them worse. Exactly. 
And and Nick, you kind of bring up a good topic. Something I didn't think of is is when I was a full time instructor, full time video guy. We were meeting twenty minute calls. That's pussy shit. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> dude. <laughs> an otter. Anyone can turn an otter all day long. There, no, there are really times. So an otter is a pretty pretty much a twenty minute call with our otters. Pretty much turning a load every twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly. And on the caravan, especially when it's a really busy Saturday, maybe we're not getting all the way up. Maybe we're in a rush because we're racing the otter who's behind us. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of like legitimate 13-minute, like you land on a 13-minute call. So you got 13 minutes to film your students landing, do their interview, mm-hmm. run inside, <laughs> drop off your cards, switch to new memory cards, do your pack job, find your student, do an interview, get geared up, get on the airplane. Don't forget to format your cards like I almost did. <laughs> Man. Ooh. You know, the software that we use now, if you don't format your cards, it's not a big deal. The, really? The software will recognize the old files on your cards, and it won't do, import them into the new project. Huh. But um, the problem with, with people that don't, like, that continue to not format their cards is the, the memory card's going to fill up at some point. Right. And then... Uh, you're halfway through a skydive and the memory card fills up and then you don't get the rest of the skydive or the Ouch. landing and then I yell at you. It would be nice <laughs> if those devices could set a FIFO system up first in, first out, so just go back and overwrite <laughs> from the beginning. Right. That would be nice. Um, son of a bitch. What did you do to my brain? I don't oh, know. But every- packing quick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Packing quick. How important do you think it was to you to... Because you're now living the same life as Mr. Mr. Lot over here, Mr. P., Except for you're also STP. How important do you think it was to your current job being a Packer first? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the word helpful because important. I never was a Packer. Were you a Packer? Never. I think helpful because there's a lot of times where I'm not even necessarily packing my parachute anymore. I'm inspecting my parachute as I'm going through it. Uh, the folds, I don't even realize I'm doing them half the time. I'm checking my attachment points. I'm checking my lines. I'm looking at the tail seam of my canopy where the grommets are, you know, very susceptible to wear. I, I can't remember the last time I actually folded up a parachute. I, I, I but, I mean, does that answer your question? It, it does to a good point, and I want to, I kind of want to step aside with that conversation for a second and really emphasize the experience level you have at pack jobs. About how many pack jobs would you figure you have? I, Over 50,000? Uh, I wouldn't say that many. I, I was only on the mat for three years. I'd say I was doing about 5,000 a year, five, five maybe 6,000 a year. 15 to 20,000. 15 to 20,000. So a, a lot of jumpers I hear say they talk about how that, they have that autonomy you have. And Mr. P, I believe you probably have that autonomy because you probably have thousands of pack jobs. Yeah, but I still hate it every time. Oh, dude, I fucking <laughs> hate this shit. I'm, I'm positive I've told this joke to everybody in the world. Why do the birds sing? They don't got to pack parachutes when they land. Fucking show-offs. Um, it, it's, I fucking hate that shit. But if you think you're seeing what Chris is describing, chances are you aren't. Take the time to get to know your parachute. Okay? Take the time to get to know and understand those folds and those flakes. And don't think you know it that well. As, as much as you hear guys like him say it, and even Mr. P say it, these guys have thousands. I have about 10,000 myself. Right. Um, and, and, man, I still don't see what you see because it was never my full-time job. It's been a, I, I did pack part-time at some point. Right. Um, but it still wasn't my full-time job. So you know it better. There, there is something that I, I do really like about having been a full-time packer was there isn't a rig that I have seen on this drop zone that I cannot inspect. 
I that I cannot do a pin check on because I've either packed one before or I've had somebody teach me how to do it. And that was just through the exposure of working on our packing mat. So just gear familiarity in general. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's very helpful. And Nick, kind of your job is a little bit different because when you're packing for a video call, you're packing to shoot a video. So you're probably thinking a little bit, but mostly you're just getting it done. You're not having to think about a lot. I'm not thinking about the process. It's all pretty, pretty automatic. But there's not a lot other things to necessarily process unless something's going on. And let me. Uh, I'm not sure if I understand your question. Let me ask. Let, I just okay, kind of go a point. And Chris, it comes to you. There's times you've landed as an STP instructor, and you have to pack and think about what just happened on the skydive. How do I address and approach the student? And how do I debrief it? That's what I mean by not thinking. Right. Um, how important has that autonomy and packing been to being a good debriefing instructor? That is definitely a good point. Actually. Uh, that is when I'm packing my parachute. That is generally my time that I take away from my student. Like, okay, I need time to collect my thoughts about that skydive. You need time to collect your thoughts about that skydive. Uh, every once in a while, when I have a really, really heads up student, I'll have them start their debrief while I'm packing. But I can listen to them while I'm packing my parachute and vice versa. And I don't care who you are and how good you are at it, I'm good at both skill sets you are as well. You can never truly listen 100% when you're doing anything else at the time. Now, I do believe you do do a great job listening, <coughs> but please don't be mistaken, folks. For the most part, I don't recommend debriefing while packing. I, I don't discourage you from doing it because you're high level of expertise in each. Um, but I think you'd agree. We would be better at our job if we individualized. 100% agree. 100%. So packing really has been a huge help for gear, gear, gear familiarity, your ability to think about your student. A lot, a lot of coaches, and you've seen this, you've trained coaches now, a lot of coaches will go into a debrief after they're done packing. Can you tell a difference between a coach's debrief when he can pack with autonomy when, versus when he can't pack with autonomy and is allowed to digest the, the skydive itself? Sort of. not Maybe not as well as you can, but I do notice like a, a slight differences like, the way they'll phrase a certain debrief versus the way they would have done it, you know, 20, 30 jumps ago yeah. before that level of autonomy anyway. If you ever have a candidate and, and those, and even a lot of skydivers don't know the word candidate, a candidate is somebody, excuse me, training to be an instructor or training to be a coach. If you ever have, next time you have a candidate who insists on packing while we're preparing for a debrief, pay very close attention to their ability to process smoothly or do you ever hear me say they vomited on the debrief? Yeah, yeah. That's I, I think that word will suddenly make more sense when you see that process okay. and think of it that way. I'll have to keep my eye open for that. Yeah, and it's very different. So I really think packing is a huge important thing. And realistically, who do you think makes the most money on the drop zone overall? Besides the guy who owns the place, maybe. The Packers. Dude, not even fucking close, man. My wife used to write checks for our old drop zone. She did payroll. She did a lot of manifesting. She did a lot of everything. And I helped the drop zone man owner with, with just doing things here and there on the side. Did a lot of meetings with him. Did a lot of, of overseeing the drop zone on weekdays. And helped with a lot of processes. We knew it inside out. A packer made the most money. I made the second most. But I was there seven days a week. That packer blew me out of the water with how much he made. And I didn't get to see his cash money he got from packer. From... from, from Fun jumpers. Right, right. So packing, super great way to enter the sport. Super great way to test the waters. At mm -hmm. 150, 150, 250 jumps, you said, hmm, I could teach this for fun. 
for a living rather. Yeah. That's when the ballpark you decide this can be a career for me or at least a lifestyle for a long time for me. Oh yeah. So what 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 did you do? What what how did you take the next step? Well, hmm. Well, long story short version, I just sat down with Brad. Long version. The long version? Okay. Um <laughs> That's not really that long of a story when I think about it. <laughs> I kind of just made a date and said, okay, by April, I need to be in this place with uh, uh, finances as far as debt, um, car loans, car payments, everything like that. I need to have this much in savings ready to go before, uh, before I make the move. Uh, so I set the date for April. Things didn't go so well at work, so I ended up doing it in February. <laughs> uh Put in my two weeks' notice and uh, just started in February. So I didn't exactly get to start the exact way that I wanted to, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just I, I just rolled with the punches. It was like, okay, I guess I'm starting this a uh, month or two out of line, but I'll just have to grind through it. I want to, I want, I kind of want to delve into that a little bit more, but I want to park on that money thing for one second. And what do you plan for for the winter? Because winters can be meager. At least four months worth of rent. Okay. Mr. P, you're a full-time skydiver. Mm-hmm. What do you plan for for the I winter? S- I save all of my money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it, skydiving is kind of feast or famine is, a, is usually how it is that it's either... I mean, skydivers love to complain, and usually they're complaining that it's too slow or that it's too busy. So, And we don't have a lot of that in between where it's like a really good balance of work and, and financial needs. So in the summer, I, I live pretty much the same that I that I do in the winter like I pay my bills I buy food but I think a lot of people get those uh, especially skydivers they get those summertime paychecks and they're like oh let's fucking ball out and you go and spend a bunch of money on partying and drinking and, and whatever else and then if you don't put any of that away for the for the winter time then uh, you're eating spaghetti and your uh, jump account gets more and more red and I've seen people do that and uh, I think it's just you know I don't know that Skydivers, even professional skydivers, are all of that uh, responsible in any way, especially you know financially. I guess that just fits fits right in. We're gypsies, but, sure. Yeah, we're not but responsible. It, I mean, it doesn't take much planning to have money for the winter. All you have to do is realize, hey, it's summer, it's busy. I have more money than usual, so I'm gonna hang on to it. So just save your money, and it's super easy. So I, I live between the two worlds you guys say right now, and what I teach and what I tell people is four months is the winter. Say four months worth of everything it costs you to live, and then everything you make in the winter is bonus. That's money that you still put away and maybe have a drink here or there. Um, that's how my plan goes, but in reality, I save all my money because I'm, I'm a fucking angry Jew, and uh, I'm probably going to get fired from my own sitcom for being racist now. Um, did you you know you know they brought Roseanne back the TV show? I think I've heard that, but I haven't seen Dude, it. Dude, first all. of all, Roseanne Bard the TV Roseanne the TV show is my era. It's my age. That's what I grew up with as a sitcom. Loved it. They rebooted it. It's fucking phenomenal. If you like the original, is John Roseanne. Goodman on it? Okay. The whole original cast. Everybody's Everybody. There. Everybody was struggling for work. Dude, Dr. you you know how their uh, <laughs> Becky was the blonde daughter. There was a second Becky who was second Sarah Chalk. Yeah, that was a little, the little trashier brunette one. Yeah, she that turned one? in. She turned into uh, Elliot Reed on Scrubs. The chick on Scrubs, the hot blonde on Scrubs. Nope, mm-hmm. that's second Becky. Don't know who that is, dude. Yeah, even she makes well. a cameo in the first three things, and then fucking, what's her nuts? Uh, Roseanne makes a racist tweet, and they cancel the show. 
But man, what, what was her tweet? What? Um, I'm if, gonna look it up right now. No, I could tell you what it is. If the but the um, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals VJ. VJ stands for Valerie. Valerie. Uh, uh, Jerry. Uh, VJ. Valerie. Valerie. Jerry. Uh, Jericho? No, no, Jer. Find See, the name. You don't know. I can't think of her last name. <laughs> but she was an aide for uh, President Obama. And Valerie so, Jarrett. Jarrett, thank you. Jericho. Jarrett. Um, so that that's the racist tweet. The best part is she posts something about, like, I was on Ambien, and somebody else comments, I don't remember uh, racism being a side effect of Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby. <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even know this Valerie Jarrett person. I had no clue till this. Till now, she's an African American woman who was a senior advisor to President Barack Obama. That's what I'm reading. Yeah, but cool. that's funny. I think that if anyone does anything trying to be funny, you're just off the hook. Especially if your job is a comedian, your job right? is to crack shit on people. Get the fuck over it, guys. And, right. and, and and I don't care about Trump or Obama or Roseanne or any of them. Just get the fuck over yourself. It's a fucking Agreed. joke. It's funny. Uh, it, it's not like she dropped some bombs out there, man. <laughs> it's not like she used some racist derogatory slurm. Slurm. Hey, yeah. Yeah, that's Scotch. Scotch. Yeah, Scotch. Speaking of slurring. So let's go back to Mr. Fudala and see where you're at. I need another beer. That's where I'm at. Boom. <laughs> you want this vice versa? You want a Heineken Bud Light? What do you want? Uh, the, I'll take the vice versa if you don't want it. So um, you, you make this financial goal. Oh, the, we were talking about financial goals. Making sure, A, that we're smart enough to, to save money for the winter. How many skydivers in your time have you seen quit skydiving because they can't survive the winter. And when I say quit skydiving, they quit working full-time, and they actually quit skydiving because they can't survive the winter. Um, gosh. A fair number. I don't have a I, number. I can't really think of anyone who, like, who fits that description right off the top of my head, but, I mean, so many people come through the world of skydiving. Yeah. When I think about the number of tandem instructors that I've known, is huge. The number of videographers that have come and gone is huge. But uh, it seems like everyone comes and goes for different reasons. But, you know, finances are a big reason for lots of people. Sure. There's no doubt, man. So finances, number one, be smart about that. Number two, you bring something up, you see people's accounts go into the red. And we won't get into sordid details, Mr. Fudala, but I do want to ask how you feel about this. A lot of staff members will go in the red. They'll owe their drop zone owner. Hey, bro, I'm going to get a tandem rating. Let me work it off. Hey, bro, I'm going to do this. Let me work it off. Do you think... That's a good idea. In hindsight, would you have rather saved up the money and made the purchases if you could have helped it, and then? In hindsight, in hindsight, answer B. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. And earnestly, you know, hundred percent honest is Chris has owed money to people and in, in, in the drop zone, and he's and it's the drop zone himself, and he's worked it off. He's doing a good job of taking care of business. But how how much does it suck to be indebted to somebody for this long? Uh, it really sucks <laughs> because. I would love to be able to fun jump more, and I would love to be able to afford to fun jump more, and you know maybe go work on getting a backup, uh, getting back in line with trying to get up on my head or get head up going again, um, you know furthering my progression as a fun jumper. Uh, that would be a lot of fun, but you know at the same time though, I mean flying video is still a lot of fun. It's work. Yeah, doing STP and AFF for uh, anybody outside of our, our drop zone. Uh, it's, it's fun for me. I really, really enjoy teaching, and I really enjoy flying with those students. Like, the challenge of it is a lot of fun. 
but it's work. You know, it would be nice to be able to go up and fun jump, you know, a lot more. Plan ahead is what you're telling us. Yeah, absolutely. Plan ahead before you pull that red handle. Financially, it, it is a difficult thing. We're not buying $300 bottles of scotches like our boy, Mr. Ginger over here. And dude, all respect, he doesn't normally buy $300 bottles of scotches. This was a celebration. Um, we don't have the same money a lot of our friends have. And it's taught me, I actually made three to four times what I make today when I was 20 years ago now. So that was quite a while ago. I have more money in savings than I would have ever had back then because I'm a much wiser, smarter man with my money. You make financial goals, but what other goals? You say, you know, 150, 250 jumps, my goal is to do this so I can go quit and be full-time. But what other goals did you set in front of you because you wanted to become an instructor and a coach one day? What were your skydiving goals? Uh, at first, I didn't really have, like, a clear set of skydiving goals. I really figured out that I really loved tracking. So that's what I very quickly became known for. Uh, I didn't even have to just walk into the office. Nicole would pop off on the microphone. Yes, Chris, I know you want on this load. I know you want to go on a tracking dive. Go have fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she wasn't as, you know, droned out as that. But it was like, yeah, I know you're going tracking. I'm busy. <laughs> go away, Chris. So, go away. <laughs> yes, I know you're taking them on a tracking dive. Got it. Move on. <laughs> So you start tracking, but at some point you say, I'm going to get a coach rating. What was yep. the motivation for the coach rating? It was the first step towards AFF. Like, so, uh, I found out through a lot of those tracking dives that I really enjoyed teaching and I really enjoyed passing on information that I had gathered from other more experienced trackers that I had gone on skydives with. And I really enjoyed being able to apply that. And I knew that I wanted at some point to be an instructor. I just didn't know... When I just knew that the first step was co-training. Let's get this out of the way. So now you know you want to get coach, and at the same time you know you want to be AFF rated. Mm -hmm. What do you start doing in your skydiving? Do you change anything? Do you think about doing things differently? I spent a lot more time doing straight down belly jumps with young jumpers, um, forcing myself to have to move around uh, in the slot, wait for that extra second so that the younger jumper could realize, oh, I'm the one moving, he's not moving. Uh, Tips and tricks that you actually taught me, like get get on really focused belly skill skydives. Um, so that's what I did. You've now trained a good handful. Uh, you've actually taught two full courses under supervision. So June 11th, and guys and gals, if you want to get your USPA coach rating, June 11th, the rating center, that's a Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, June 11th, 12th, 13th, Chris Fudal will actually be teaching a coach course at Skydive Spaceland Houston. So if you want to get your coach rating and you can make those days, hit me up as soon as possible, info at the ratingscenter.com. Um, ratings with an S, ratingcenter.com, and get in Chris's uh, course. Now, this is the first course that Chris will be teaching without me in the room. The only thing me in the room does for Chris is make him wonder if I'm doing push-ups or standing up to add information. It yeah. is pretty... <laughs> you, you know I've been doing the get in better shape thing, and I'd stand up in the back of the class to lay down behind the desk and just do a bunch of push-ups. And Chris would stop and go, oh, never mind, you're just going back there and trying to <laughs> be active. That's boring. So you'll be teaching, dude. Listen, <laughs> listen. Come to a course. It's so boring. No, so let's get that straight. The best thing to do when I'm evaluating you is bore me, because if I'm not bored, I have to pay a lot of attention because you're not doing well. If you're doing so well that I don't have to be super focused to notice when you make a mistake, because your mistakes stand out. When everything's gold, something that's even not remotely, something that's just barely not gold, stands out right away. So I don't have to pay nearly as much attention to Chris. 
So because I have so many repetitions doing this, he's doing what I've done for years. That's what makes it boring. <laughs> <laughs> I just justified your boringness. But candidates have given a lot of praise to you. They've said a lot of nice things. Yes, thank you to them. You've trained uh, a lot of new jumpers to be coaches uh, by yourself, and then you helped me train a lot more. Of all those jumpers, what things have they done prepared? How important do you think that belly skill you talked about is? Uh, you can definitely notice the guys that did not spend the last, say, I mean, even just the past 10 jumps prior to the coach course. Go do some, go do some mentor jumps. Go do some chuckways. Go do some focused slot flying belly skills skydives to get your brain back in that game. Uh, or at least get your body flight back in that game. And those candidates, a lot of them do structured skydives. For example, Justin, you uh, you work very closely with the mentor program. The mentor jumps, they're very highly debriefed. Some of them not as well debriefed as others because everybody has their own specialty as, as a mentor. Some are better or stronger at certain things. And then some people go on, and, and a lot of these organized groups out there are a lot of fun, and there's debriefs after the end, but there's a difference between a quality debrief where we're really poking or, or, or looking at certain skill sets in a limited number so we're not overloaded, um, and, and then just organized jumps. How important do you think those are in a coach candidate's performance being on those structured skydives? It, it does a lot because it gives them a job, and it gives them a slot, and it tells them you need to be here at this certain time so this goal for this point can be built. Um, have you yet noticed in candidates when they debrief you? And, and so those of you who, who don't know, and we're going to get more into the coach rating here as we move on, to be a coach, you go through a course, and we play bad students. We play dumb students. Even Justin, I think, <laughs> you've had the opportunity <laughs> to be yeah. here. Penis clipboard. Um, <laughs> Penis clipboard. And part of the process is you have to land and debrief us and say, this is what you did well, and this is how you can improve on the things that need improvement. And, and making the student better, not pointing out their flaws, pointing out what they can improve on. Have you noticed a similarity in candidates when they do a lot of coaching with, like, maybe a Scott Latness? Can you actually see Scott Latness's influences in their debriefing style or coaches like that? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, Scott Latness has a very specific, I, I think structure is the word. Flavor. Yeah, flavor. That's definitely a better like word. Flavor. To, uh, uh, to his debriefs. Um, Demo has a very weird flavor to his debriefs as well. <laughs> But they, uh, yeah, they get results though. Yeah, I mean, they can't. I can't deny that. Oh yeah, I've seen both of them in architects take people with just minimal tum tunnel time, maybe like tunnel. A, yeah, one minute of tunnel <laughs> time, no jumps, and get them to where they can move uh, wherever they want them to move in the tunnel just by walking around and giving them small little inputs. Yeah. So you think it's important to their ability to debrief to be in those debriefs? Yes. Yes. So you've now got this passion. You, you've now said, I want to become a coach. So you, what you've told us here is, is focus A on your belly skills. Your coach rating gives you what? What does a coach rating allow you to do? Oh, man. Uh, allows you to supervise students who are cleared for solo No, no, no. Let's talk this in English, man. Fuck this technical <laughs> bullshit. We ain't at work. It's basically, English. Let, lets you go jump with people that don't have licenses yet. And we're teaching them what? Teaching them basic belly skills. Basic group free Basic fall group skills. Free fall skills. I'm going to get a little more particular. Oh, that's all right, man. I've been doing this longer than you, and I put you on the spot. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Basic group free fall skills. Dang. So your job is to teach basic formation skydiving skills. Mm -hmm. Man, how good are you at formation skydiving, asshole? 
not you, anybody in particular, you who think you are great. How many people have you seen come into a coach course? And, and Nick, you've watched tons of these. How many people have you seen come into a coach course who think, oh, I'm great at formation skydiving? And obviously they are not. <laughs> My uh, belly skills yeah. are solid, right? I, I think that that's pretty My much any person with so less. Solid. So solid. Any person with less than 1,000 jumps is pretty much on that list for me. Unless you've worked in the sport doing something else. Like, you know, let's say you've shot video, maybe you were on a four-way team. I think that would that would also make you an exception to the rule. But someone who's, let's say that, you know, maybe they did a couple hundred belly jumps, they started free-flying pretty soon, and now that's pretty much what they do is free-flying and tracking. That person comes in to, to do a coach course. Yeah, that person flies like shit on their belly. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, man, when you start learning these things, a bill, a buddy of ours, Bill Johnson, Bill Johnson does a lot of the uh, weekday mentoring at the drop zone and runs a mental program for us on weekdays we just did a day of pre-course work together just drills and he landed and said this is the most humbling day in skydiving i've ever had and he's a very focused very trained very coached good belly flyer he messaged me the other day we're teammates but he messaged me the other day and said i have a whole new level of respect for aff instructors Bo- i said you haven't even dipped the surface yet <laughs> <laughs> i love you bill but no he has not so, is clipboard yeah. you know uh, he uh he is not but both of you guys have landed from the jump that he landed on his third jump he landed walked into the packing room put his gear down and walked up to me with his hands on his uh, knees going <sighs> wiping sweat off his brow not keeping able to catch his breath because he got worked but he worked 100 percent there so tell me about the skydive that you that you took poor bill on so this was a laid-back skydive as far as there's going to be 15 jumps from now where he's going to go that skydive's easy so first of all with aff instructor training if you're capable of a difficulty of a five we usually push you to a six because if we're catering to your skill set you're not growing if we're well beyond your skill set we're out you're not learning either so we're one step more difficult than you can attain. And once you meet that and once you learn that in the sky, we move forward to the next step. And Chris, you actually work in this process as well. Yeah, Dallas. That was our last one. Yeah. That was fun. Dude, so much fun. And so we're, we're, we're dragging up with us. So at this point, Bill and I, uh, he's doing pre-course work. We're, we're, we're training for the day, looking at where his skill sets are, giving him a plan and goals in his skydiving that he can in three months from now take a course. So we start in a facing two-way skydive. I'm wearing a GoPro. We're facing each other. Uh, we side slide, we cup air, we spill air, we move around, we transition or, or orbit each other back and forth. And I'm looking at your skill set and your ability during those and saying, cool, this is what we can work on. If you're an AFF instructor on the side of a student and they put their feet on their ass, they start backsliding. So you have two options. Well, three or four options, but your main two options if you're flying is option number one, side slide with them. If you see their feet go on their butt, you side slide, you stay with it if you can side slide fast enough. Now, the other option is... is Jesus take the wheel? Is Cy- <laughs> no, no, no. How's that going, Mr. Fidala? Cypress take Cyprus. the wheel. Cypress take, Cypress take the wheel. Cypress take the wheel. <laughs> um, option number two is you don't notice it in time, and you are tracking while they are backsliding. I let Bill on that jump. At one point, I was backsliding, and he was tracking, and I wasn't fully backsliding yet. Now, <coughs> I have a lot of practice backsliding and losing people. It's my mm-hmm. job. My job is to be an <laughs> asshole in the sky. <laughs> Perfect. Um, on this guy, I've built... Uh, so we practice these side slides, these things, to see how fast you can side slide to stay with a backsliding student. We went up on that jump. He had to stay in slot, which means an arm's length away from my side at all times. He should be able to give me a pin check at all times. <coughs> I'm turning. 
and he can't let me turn, but he can't grab me. So he can block me. I can run into him, but he can't let me push him out of the way. And I am legitimately trying to push him out of the way. Students turning hard out of control aren't trying to push you out of the way, but their momentum will. Oh, no, I'm making sure my momentum will, momentum will push you out of the way unless he's fighting. So I'm hitting him with my elbow, and I turn the other way, and I hit him with my leg. Hit back with my elbow, and I hit him three times. And <clears throat> then I just start backsliding. And he side slides until I lead him on a tracking dive. Stop, let him get back on my side, and I hit him three more times. And then flip a 180, hit him one more time, and then he's got to pitch my pilot shoe and hold on to me through opening. <coughs> You're making yourself sound like a real dick. Oh, dude, it's my job. <laughs> it's so much fun, though. It's my job. He hasn't even got to the back spinny spinny shit yet. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is Bill did a great job. He landed, and he didn't think he did a great job. But he's never seen this before. And no, he's not done. But his progress, where he started in the day and where he got to on his third jump, was immense. Uh, so we train you to get ready for an AFF course. That's that's what we're doing with him. So, Chris, I'm curious to know the the difference between what you go through in a course and what you get on a, a real skydive from a real student. Which would you say is more difficult? I guess, what, have you had students that are as difficult as what he's describing right now? Oh, yes. Yeah? I've had worse. Uh, we DJ is very <laughs> fond of saying... Uh, we can train you as hard as we possibly can, but it doesn't matter. The student will still find a way to fuck with you. <laughs> and guess what? He's right. They will still find ways. Do you have uh, a memory that stands out when you're when you're starting this conversation? Uh, I've had worse ones, you, and I only have like twenty. You don't have to. You don't have to name names, but go maybe, back to maybe June. You can tell us about a situation. Two thousand and sixteen. June two thousand and sixteen. Oh, is that one of your very first AFF jumps, or that your was very first? The very first AFF. Okay, jump. Yeah, I, I think you this. might remember that because uh, uh, me and Guru got in a little bit of a spat on that one too. Oh, I don't remember uh, you arguing with Guru, but I do remember the day and the uh, situation a little bit. Yeah, Somebody that argued one, with Guru. That was that was a lot of fun. Uh, First, uh, first AFF student, I had a supervising instructor with me. And, uh, I mean, two hours worth of ground training. Got him all ready to go. Got on the airplane. Got set up in the door. Everything was great until the ready, set, exit. And that's where it just started going real bad. So at the clipboard? At the clipboard, yeah. <laughs> pen Are you guys going to tell me what the hell this pen yeah, is? Yeah, you've got to explain is. this. Okay, okay, I, okay. I understand it. Okay. Because when I hear pen is, I just hear penis and figure it's a dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was Justin's AFF course, and it's the end of, what, day three, I think it was? It was the end of day three. And I asked him to go get a clipboard. He, he it was had, a brain Friday. It, it, was, it was, we were dead. So it, was, at, it was weather. We were just sitting there drilling, going over a whole bunch of stuff. Fried. Yeah. So he asked me to go get a couple of clipboards. I bring back pens. Because <laughs> I'm fried. Yeah. And so, yeah, pens is clipboard. And then a little bit later, you guys go on an evaluation jump together. Yeah. Yep. And you're evaluating Justin. Yep. And these two cannot get over pen as clipboard. I cannot yep. say the word clipboard or pen around either one of these assholes without hearing pen as Now, so, by the way, I'm cool that you guys love it. I was over it the day it happened. But I do these courses all the time, and I hear like every course has a theme. Every course has something. <laughs> and pen and clipboard will forever be in that course. And I'll always enjoy it, but not as much as you guys. Now, keep doing it. I'm not discouraging. I <laughs> to like this day, it. when we're both at the STP desk debriefing, we'll just say it to each other. It's, Watch this it's exit also, count. Pen is clipboard. <laughs> That's the exit count he used just to fuck with Justin. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And, uh, and I still use it sometimes with coach candidates, especially if Justin's in the plane, just so he can hear me yelling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that you know the story, if you ever say pin or clipboard around these kids, you will hear them. You They've been saying uh, it more than you've realized. I don't use clipboards all that often, so I think I'm going to be all right. You'll yeah. probably still hear his cable. I, no, I have heard you guys <laughs> over there saying it, but I just figured it was a... I really thought it would be a penis joke. No, it's so, kind of lame now that you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At this point. <laughs> yeah. I like lay down boards, too. That's underused. Lay down we boards. We need to bring that one back. Who used that? They're we, creepers, by the way. Yeah, when we were doing the <laughs> I course... I know what these two are, okay? <laughs> I think it was Zach and I. We were uh, we were training each other doing the ground evals, and uh, somebody came along, a younger jumper, and, and said, "Hey, get down on the laydown board." So during our ground <laughs> eval, to to break the seriousness of the whole thing, we're like, "Hey, sit down on this laydown board," <laughs> like very obviously to make Chris laugh. <laughs> Man. All right. So where did I leave off? Exit. Is that where I left off? Yeah, everything was great. Set everything up in the great. door, exit. Your exit. first AFF. What happens next? Yeah. Clip, first AFF. Clipboard went to shit. So, so <laughs> we have a we have a student not doing too terrible, super tense, flailing a little bit on the hill. So I give him the shakes. When we shake you, that means you're supposed to arch and relax. So he relaxes a little bit, but relaxes too much, puts his legs on his butt. So, what happens when you're in a two-way, and somebody's got their legs on their butt. Well, it starts to rotate, and it starts to spin around the anchor. In my case, I was the anchor. So what what causes one to be the anchor? I'm the one. He's driving backwards around me is basically oh, it. Oh, okay. So, I, so if you're the, in, the inside? Correct. Inside of the turn? Correct. Okay, got you. Correct. Uh, so I think, okay, cool. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to give him the right signal. So I give him a legs out signal to try to get his legs out. Well, he goes the exact opposite direction and it makes the spin even worse. And it's so bad that it's stretching me out to the point where I can't even pull myself back to the student. Uh, so I, lo- I lost the student. I had to let him go. It just got ripped out of my hands. And then the chase was on. And we chased him. And we chased him. And we chased him some more, uh, me and the uh, other instructor. We chased him some more. We chased him some more, and he finally woke up at about three thousand feet. Pitched his pilot chute. Uh, the other instructor pitched uh, almost directly below him. I pulled right at two five. Saddled in at about well, I don't know nineteen hundred feet. So you beat that cypress? Barely. <laughs> 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 or no, it was lower than that, wasn't it? No, I think I saddled in like fifteen hundred feet. Did you have two out? No, no, I saddled at I saddled at fifteen hundred feet because there's a really great screenshot that I have of me looking at my altimeter in a snivel. And then wham, there's the parachute. So, People ask me all the time after a course, I'll never see a student this bad, really, will I? And the reality is, is the vast majority of your students will be good. If you train them well, they'll be good. If you don't train, if you have a lot of shitty students, then you need to spend more time on the ground training them. What do you feel about that? I'm going to train to a standard but I still don't trust you until oh, you leave no. that airplane. But you've seen bad. You've seen people who regularly have bad students. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you think that has something to do with their training? Yes, absolutely. You know, you see something about regularly bad videographers showing up. Do you think that has something to do with their training? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think that they've. I mean, I think that some people don't do a good job because they never learn how to do a good job. If that makes any sense. Absolutely, and that's training, right? So we need to do a better job training. Sure. Now. People say, DJ, do students really get that bad? And one of the things 
that I'll tell them is, yes, they will. It's just not common or not normal, number one. But number two, I will never give you as strong as a 10. We score all of these as far as, as most examiners have their own internal speak. And my internal speak is very easy. I'm going to score these on a difficulty of one through 10, one being easy, 10 being really, really hard. And I can now tell Chris, and, I've, and I used to not be able to do this, but Chris go give me a seven. And he knew exactly how difficult that should be. Right now, Hank is learning this, and I say, go give me a seven, and he'll probably give me a five because he doesn't quite know that limit yet. Um, I tell candidates, we'll never give you a 10, and people ask me, why not? I want a 10. KDP wanted a 10. She wanted to get as more as difficult as hard as it, it, it can be, and it hurts. It, no, it legitimately hurts. For, for both parties, I'm no, sure. No, for me. I don't even fucking care about them anymore. <laughs> I, I really don't, dude. I uh, gave a guy a 10 one day, and I was spinning so hard. I started graying out, and I tried to stop my turn. And I, I'm pretty sure I stopped my turn. And the only reason I'm pretty sure I stopped my turn is the outside video. See, shows me flying straight, but I am not flying straight. I immediately get pitched. I say immediately. Within five seconds, get pitched after the turn stops. And it took me two minutes to figure out where I was at and what I was doing. It, it, it grayed me out. Um, there's video in the course of a student spinning out of control, Paris yeah. Cat C2. And this kid is spinning so fucking fast, he had fallen arches and bloodshot eyes after his skydive. I will never be that bad because fuck you, I'm not going to hurt myself doing that. So they get worse than we get. Have you had worse than me yet? Yeah, I have. <laughs> so gay. <laughs> You're so gay, man. But, but luckily, <laughs> luckily in real life, you can dump them out if it gets that bad. Yeah, and we do. We truly have parameters <laughs> in, in the yeah. course. No matter how bad I've been, you have to let go of me again. Yeah. And in the real world, <laughs> fuck you. You are done. It's time for you one, to have a parachute. You get one chance. <laughs> you cannot deploy me 100 feet above 4,500. 4,500 is the highest you can deploy me. If you deploy me higher, it's an automatic unset no matter how good you were. In the real world, pitch a student at 10 grand if that's the only chance you have. Um, um, God dang, man. <laughs> that's the sucky part about the course. It's like, I know he's about to be an asshole again, but I have to let him yeah. go. <laughs> let me let go of this <laughs> it's dick. Eight, it's eight grand. I only have 15 seconds left of this skydive. Crap. What's he going <laughs> to do? Yeah. That means I'm going to be chasing him to dock at the very end. <laughs> now, I want to stop for one second and, and, and go backwards because you said something a minute ago. Boy, you're making yourself sound like a real dick or asshole right now. A coach course is not what we're talking about right now. If you're thinking about getting your coach rating, it is not the same thing. We're talking about AFF, students who don't even know basic self-survival skills. In the real world, AFF is accelerated freefall, static line. These are teaching solo basic survival skills, and they're usually an AFF, a 7, 8, 9 jump program. Coach jumps teach you group free fall skills. So we're, we're, we're talking when we talk about these asshole stories on the version you and I are going to go on soon, an AFF jump. I'm excited. I cannot wait yes. to see what you can do. Yeah, I'm just excited. Can I, I fly outside video? Sure, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to tackle you. If you do anything wrong, I'm going to fuck your whole day up. <laughs> you know how happy, but, Bring it on. But you know how happy that'll make me? Answer. That, Say again. That is the correct answer. <laughs> yes. Full on tackle that asshole. <laughs> but it, it, and by the way, it's not the right answer because legally, if you tackle me, it's an automatic unsat. I'll now, tackle you with finesse. Yeah, and that's the Delicate finesse. Tackling. It's how hard you hit me. If I'm stable, 
a hard hit happens very easily. If I'm unstable, the same thing that was a hard hit is no longer a hard hit. So I've never actually legally been tackled. I've had people dive down on me and wrap me up. Just because you wrapped me up didn't mean you tackled me. If you knocked the air out of me, fuck you, you failed. So uh, Nick, Nick's goal is to fail now. Great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to really see what it's like. You know, I, I've chased a lot of different people in the sky. Yeah. But uh, I think you know the way that a tandem moves or someone with, with skill who's moving a certain way on purpose, I think that's all pretty different than how you know, a new AFF student will move or someone who's trying to emulate that. Next time we have a, a instructor checkout jump, um, and so just to inform you what that means if you listen, is at Spaceland, we don't trust an AFF instructor shows up and still has the skills they once had. As AFF instructors, we train and we never test again. And some believe in the industry that we should do continuous testing and improvement. But Spaceland, we actually, if you show up as a, a rated guy, we put you through a test jump. And Chris Vidal is one of the guys who can put you through those paces. Rafa is coming up next. Find out when one of these jumps are and go shoot outside video. Just because I'm curious because I re- you've shot outside video for me before. And I want to see the video you shoot today versus the video you shot those days because I think it's going to be very different. I think you were more timid back then, and I don't think you were skill set was good enough to be aggressive. I still feel like I get timid on those jumps, shooting outside video of, of any course, because I just don't want to be so close that I distract or inhibit anyone from doing their, the, you know, the job that's there to be done on the skydive. And I think that uh, especially when I would shoot video for you more often, I didn't know, like, hey, where's the line where I get in trouble for, for being too close or being, let's say I get in between a candidate and uh, uh, an examiner. Mm-hmm. Like, when, when, when do I break those rules? So I, th- I think I would always stay back just to make sure that I wasn't uh, But I think the difference today, and I think that's very valid, and you were always respectful of the candidate. Today I think you see more, and I think you'll know how to get out of the way and how to get in when you're in the way. So I think you'll be able to be more aggressive because your ability to recognize your position compared to theirs. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Um, what, so, what if the candidate's doing really bad and I want to go in for a spin stop? So if you shoot video <laughs> for me so ever in a course, I tell you, uh, please don't get involved. But Ben Nelson has this permission and you have this permission now. If this candidate has tried for three or four jumps to get a spin stop, after 15 seconds, if they're not close, show them how it's done. And I don't mean that as be a dick, but maybe if they see you do it, they'll get the idea. Maybe seeing it done will help them understand the level of aggressiveness that is needed to do it. So if you're ever shooting it, and you know this is the third or more time that they struggle to spin stop, 15 seconds have at it. If you're a video guy for me, ask permission before you know this. This is not an open invite to anybody. Ben Nelson has it. You have it. Um, Fudala has it if he shoots video. If I shoot video, you know, fuck, I don't need permission. I'm the boss. <laughs> I can do whatever the fuck I want. Man. I, like, I would hope I have your permission to do a spin stop. Yeah. You helped me earn that rating. Don't tell Val I said I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I kind of lost track of where we were at, but I know you, we, we were talking about you becoming a coach and what it took to become a coach. I want to fast forward because you've packed for a while now and you know you want to become an AFF instructor. What did you do to get ready for your AFF instructor course? I came up to this guy that I know named DJ Marvin. Dick. Yeah, he is kind of an asshole. And uh, asked him if I could shoot outside video for one of his courses. Uh, I was really interested in being there and seeing there, uh, seeing what goes on during those courses to, to give myself my own benchmark of where I wanted to be as a flyer uh, before I even thought about entering the course. And 
you know, kindly enough, I was allowed to go shoot video for, I think I shot six courses six before you said, no, now you have to go get your AFF rating. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, the rating center, one of the things that I try to do is use a, a videographers that cost little to nothing for the candidates. As candidates, you're going to pay for the video guy slot. That's the least you can pay him. Now, commonly, video guys will charge 20 bucks a slot or more or, or more or less, and I don't use those guys. What I use is AFF instructors who already have the rating, who somebody did them a favor. So they'll say, yo, bro, I'll shoot your video. Just pay for my slot, nothing else. So they're paying it back. But the most common guy I use is a guy who's interested in the rating. Henry Guyver actually just joined us. He's been on the show. And I'll use a guy like Henry Guyver and say, come shoot the video. You're not getting paid, but it's a free jump to see what's going on and sit in the video and debrief. So there's a lot of learning through participation. And that's one of the reasons I want to see you on that jump is to see what you observe before you go make the jump. How often do you have a video guy run into a candidate on exit? Jay Stokes and I have plowed into each other on exit. We have done leapfrogs over each other numerous times. So that's not a problem if I do that? Simulates real-world training. Okay, so I was about to ask Mr. Fudala, what do I say? I tell video guys, I don't care how good or how bad you are. If you run into us in exit, it simulates real-world training. Because in the real world, a video guy will plow into an AFF instructor and student together. And they have to learn how to deal with it. And Jay and I, uh, when I shoot video of Jay Stokes, now we haven't worked courses for years together, but I would try to leave on top of him from the camera step and within one to two seconds be parked in front of him. I would leave over his back and park facing him. That was my goal. That was also his goal. He didn't shoot nearly as many videos of me, but he did. And more than once, we've played leapfrog. We've never plowed into each other because we see it coming and we deflect. But I've probably bounced off Jay's back six times. He's probably bounced off mine three. What if the video guy hits the student? I'm the student in these oh, cases. Okay, hang on. Let me, let me the think candidate? This. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just imagining a jump with me, you, and Chris right now where you're playing the student. Uh -huh. So if I run into Chris... Versus if I run into you, is there a different... It's not frowned upon. I can, I can get away with any of that. You called it what? <laughs> Real world training. Real yeah. world simulation. The exit's going to be a shit show anyway, so it doesn't really matter. In the real world, I have actually... Not always. Sometimes not the exit's meant to be good. <laughs> But I've seen in the real world. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot <laughs> of uh, AFF exits because I'm usually with the tandem that's right after them, right? Yeah. And man, I don't get I don't get tired of seeing the craziness that you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait. The, the, the funny thing is though, like some of those exits, they look crazy from uh, when you're looking down on them. Mm -hmm. We're flying through the hill as best as we can, and a lot of times we can. We can manage those exits. Uh, well, I'm usually looking at the student just because that's the more entertaining. <laughs> <half>. <laughs> Look Fair at him enough. kick and swim, like especially yeah. when someone like when you know that sound when a student when some part of that student hits, hits the back the of the plane. door. Yeah, yeah, that sound. So it's like, ooh, <laughs> that's got. I've just got to be less fun. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even notice. Yeah, they yeah. don't even notice. It, it reminds me of, of a term, uh, Kyle Schoonover, you know Kyle, mm -hmm. used to work for PD. Kyle worked here, and he is the first person in skydiving who ever figured out what it meant when I say I'm Olympic. So I'm Olympic started with a homie of mine, Robert Clark. How are you doing today? I'm Olympic. What the fuck does that mean, Robert? I feel like a champion. I'm going to train like a gold medal winner, and I feel like a gold medal winner. It's a positive mindset. Start your day out as a champion every day. And I'm like, I like that. I feel Olympic. And days that I feel down, I start trying to feel like I'm Olympic. Try to strive to be the best. And it makes me feel good. But if you ever see me in the airplane and I say, I feel Olympic, Kyle looked at me one day. He goes, I get it. You get what? 
you just said you feel Olympic. Yeah, you're about to run, swim, or flip, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Kyle was the first person to figure out when I'm in the plane and I say I'm feeling Olympic, somebody's going on a ride. Somebody's about to have a little less fun than me. You spin me right round, baby. When we go on a spin jump, when we go out and tumble, it, it, it's man, I truly enjoy it. Chris, you want to become an AFF instructor right now. So first of all, you kind of asked, like, yes, we really, as much as we are assholes in the sky, it really exists. What skill set did you work on to become an AFF instructor? And now that you help train, you're not an examiner yet, but you're an evaluator, what skill sets are important to train to become then an instructor? Well, definitely, definitely uh, chase the video slot for a while and remember that that slot is dynamic. It is not sitting still, uh, you know, for, for you, Nick, the, the tandems, they, they move around a little bit, have small variances in, in fall rate, maybe a little bit of side-to-side -side here and there, but for the most part, they're going straight down. When you're chasing AFF video, that slot is never in the same spot. It's it's up here 40 feet. It's over there, you know, away from you 100 feet. It's behind you 60 feet, and it's constantly moving all the time. Uh, the center of uh center of focus so if dj's uh the evaluator you want to be right in front of him the whole time and i guess this is more for henry guyver as well uh you want to be right in front of him the whole time and it's always moving so it's really going to test your aggressive flying skills uh the other flying skill that you really want to really really develop is the proactive flying skill versus reactive don't wait till you see something happening and then go and chase the slot as soon as you see that body part move, legs, for example, as soon as you see that body part move, already get on your horse and get on it, get on it a gear higher than you think you need. You can back off a little bit if you need to, but if you start behind the curve and you don't catch up immediately, you're going to be further behind the curve. So really work on, yeah, those would be the two biggest things I would say, uh, getting ready for an AFF course, proactive flying and aggressive flying. If you ask me, can I shoot video of an AFF course, please don't be offended if, I, offended if I say no. And one of the reasons I'll say no is I already committed to this guy. Chris Vidal is about to take his AFF course, and so I want him to shoot video now. So sometimes I say no, not because it has anything to do with you, and it has everything to do with the guy who's next. Don't be offended if I say no, because maybe if you're asking to shoot video, I want you to start at the beginning and build your skills to where we're at the end. And Chris, today you can go to the end of the course and shoot video right away. But how important do you think it is learning to shoot video to start from the easy stuff to before you get to the hard stuff? I think it was very, very important because uh, very similar to how we train the candidates. Let's start one block at a time. All right. First, we're going to learn how to fly the exit on this jump. Then we're going to learn a little bit of slot flying. Then we're going to learn a little bit of, you know, the bottom end sequence. Okay, now we're going to make it a little bit harder. We're going to add hand signals in there. Now we're going to make it a little bit harder. We're going to throw spin stops in there. Same thing applies for the video guy. You know, chase the easy stuff first, then work the harder stuff in as you go. So it's shooting the video, it, don't be offended if I say no, and it's because it might just not be the right place or the right time for you or it is for somebody else. But shoot video. And I have a lot of guys and gals shoot video of these courses to learn. But how much did you learn by shooting video versus how much did you learn by sitting in on the debriefs? I learned a lot from shooting the video, um, mainly because it was forcing me to have to fly and fly hard and fly harder than I thought that I could fly. I learned way more on the debrief because uh, 
I was able to not only see what I was doing getting in there, I was able to hear the debrief of the candidates and what they were doing and how they were going to be needing to fix it. So I was actually learning more or less how to put that into my own toolbox as a flyer. And then that made it that much easier going into the into the course because there were concepts that I was already familiar with that I had already heard debriefed several times. Uh, elevate to attack. That's one we talk about all the time, right? That was a concept I was already familiar with. Elevate to attack. Um, drive for center mass. That's one that we talk about all the time as well. You're no longer American. You are Finnish. Finnish, finish, finish, finish. You don't finish, finish, finish your moves finish, enough. Finish. Yeah. Um, and you actually are very unique because I don't think I've ever had a candidate who was able to do what Chris has done. And, and I'll kind of look at you, Mr. P, because something that you might have noticed is how often do you have to critique Chris versus how often does Chris come to you with criticisms and, and, and ask for advice? Oh, I would say he uh, asks for advice more often than I uh, give it outwardly, yeah. which is great. And that's where, Chris, you're one of the most unique candidates I've ever had because I have never, besides you, run an AFF candidate through a course who I would land, play the video through at full speed, go back and start playing in slow motion, and have the candidate immediately go, this is what I did well. This is what I could fix about that. And every segment, we look at the exit. You always talked about what you did good and what you would improve on. The, each segment of the free fall, you would talk about what you did good. So the thing I want you to talk about is a couple things here. Number one, um, how important is it to be self-critical and how important is it to your learning curve? And, and Nick, I want you to chime in as you, as you want because you and I see a lot of, of arrogant people who don't want to take the criticisms and, and they don't strive, they don't improve where some people, in Blindberry, she takes criticism well and because she does, she does improve. <laughs> She's very open to criticism. So, Chris, how important is it to your growth for this self-criticism and, and what you did in the course, but also how important is it to your learning cur curve to focus on, number one, what you can improve on, and number two, not what you did poorly, but what you can improve on. What you did well, I think, should be the number one, and number two, what you can improve on versus, you know, some people say, this is what I did bad. You know where I'm going. Right, yeah. Uh, right, yeah. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, caught myself that time. <laughs> You were about to say cool, weren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. So, uh, well, just using the video uh, stuff for an example, because that's the most current thing right now. Uh, I can't remember if it was a couple days ago or whatever, but it was, okay, I need to get back to work on cleaning up my exits. Uh, I did this orbit really well. I got that shot you were talking about with this, that, and the other. What did you think of the video? And Nick was like, I honestly didn't watch it, but you know what? This is something. This I, I can't remember even what you told me. It was like I get lower in the door uh, when you're doing the rear float exit. I think that was what you you told me about the exit to help clean up uh, that exit shot, so I could get you know some better pictures of the student in the tandem. Uh, but after that, you're like, I hadn't really watched the video, but it sounds like you're on the right track. You're you're being self-critical of yourself, and you're doing it appropriately. Um, so. Back to the FF thing, it was. It took some training on your part, but it was very important, or I find it very important, to pick something I did well, so start with a positive, put something I can improve on, and then immediately sandwich it with, okay, this is something I did well in the next station of the skydive. And then I always try to, no matter how bad the skydive went, I always try to at least plant it in my brain that overall that skydive went really well. 
because I'm still walking. And I landed. I landed safely. I still got to go, you know, land my parachute. I got to go fly and play with my parachute. So I got to have a little bit of fun. Thank God we enjoy Campy Flight as much as we do. Yes. Because without that, man, th- there was definitely a, 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 no matter how bad the skydive is, I got to fly my parachute. And if you don't live skydiving that way, you need to learn to love the parachute that much because it saves your life. If you're just using it to land you safely, good for you. I'm not against that. But I would promote the idea that you love the parachute so much that it can save any bad skydive because, man, free fall is super fun. It's super badass. Landing a parachute saves my life. Man, which one should I actually care more about? I think saving my life. Just mm-hmm. saying. Um, you're, you're very critical. You're very self-aware, and, and it does a good job. And we talk in coach courses about the term primacy recency, which means what? Primacy recency. Uh, students are commonly going to remember the first and last things that they, uh, that they hear most in any particular lesson plan. And then we go beyond that, and you've learned these things, Nick, because they're they're what what are they called? Primalcy, primalcy, and recency. <laughs> primalcy. Oh. Uh, people remember the first monkey they've been with. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa. When did what? that start happening? What? That's what primalcy is, right? My first monkey. I guess. <laughs> um, primacy, recency. Hobbies you've got I did not know about. <laughs> <laughs> is what is what you d- do laugh. <laughs> Is that what's in the chest right there? Uh, shush. shush. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things uh, we, we just mentioned, primacy, primacy recency, is that. But also beyond that, people typically focus on the positive or negative. Yes. Which one is it? They almost always want to focus on negative first. It's like the human brain's natural function is to always head towards negative. You know, you watch a movie, Nick, and the hero tells the heroine, heroine, and I love that's the name of her heroine, tells the heroine, don't look down. What's the heroine immediately do? I would say she looks down. Yeah, and, and that is the human mind. When we, fo- when we say negative, we focus on negative. In skydiving, if we tell somebody, don't reach for a dock, what do people typically do? Well, exactly what you told them to not do. Exactly. So people commonly focus on, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, I worked for four years in Indiana where we were off four months a year. Four months a year, we didn't skydive at all. And my first jump back was almost always a shit-hot skydive. But the problem was is I didn't remember my mistakes. I didn't remember what I was fucking up at the end of last season. And all I did on that jump is remember how to do this, remember how to do this, remember how to do this. And because, and I firmly believe, because I was focusing only on what to do right, it was usually one of my hottest skydives of the last... Eight months, you know, uh, uh, and hopefully through the year I progressed from there. So there's no doubt focusing on the positive. How important is it focusing on the positive first? Very, very important because it just establishes that mindset. It helps get you in that gear that I need to be acknowledging the things that I've been doing well. Like it's definitely important for my psyche. Now you say for your psyche, but as an instructor, I think you've gone through an evolution as, as we all should. But your evolution is is you went from instructor to evaluator. So you went from, I was taught to do it this way, so I'm going to do it this way. And you really didn't fulfill the way you were taught to do. Most of us don't. We, 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 we're not, you know, hopefully we're better than what we were trained, but we're not always going to achieve what we were trained to for the good or for the bad. Sure, sure. But then you started becoming the trainer as an evaluator. And, and if you're listening as a skydiver, an examiner is those of us who can run courses and sign ratings. An evaluator, for lack of better term, is an apprentice. Chris works under my direct supervision, except for as a coach examiner. You are one now. Yay! Cheers to you. Um, 
But as an evaluator, you work under my direct supervision, and you're allowed to test and help train these candidates. Yes. Um, God damn it. I sidetracked myself and forgot what I was saying. <laughs> Gravity Lab Radio today has been brought to you by Option Studios. They make the dopest Yeah, we already blades. started there. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's not what I was saying? Um importance of training students. So you're now a regular instructor. And as an instructor, you got me there. As an instructor, you probably didn't debrief as well as you debrief since you've become an evaluator. Fair statement? Correct. 100% correct. So you use primacy, recency, do's and don'ts better today than you did in your first six months of being an instructor. Correct. So you say in my own learning curve, you notice a difference. But you've done it both ways as an instructor. Yes. Does it make a difference to others? It definitely makes a difference to others. Uh, I found, uh, at least in the recent, I don't know, three to four months, if I'm doing my if I'm doing my debriefs right, I don't have to, I, I can tell them to go write down what they think they need to write down on their logbook. They're going to write down two things that they did well. They're going to write down two things that they can improve on, and they're going to write an overall statement on how they feel about the skydive. <laughs> One of the things that, that many of us teach in debriefing, um, but I definitely teach in debriefing, any of the rating center guys teach in debriefing, is at the end of the debrief, you ask a couple questions. Mr. Grubbs, do you remember the questions? And Justin, or uh, uh, Nick, do you remember the questions? Because you're actually be the furthest removed from this. Gosh, it's been a long time. I, I, am I going? Is it my Go, turn? I'm going to get you, because you're the <laughs> furthest removed I, from my this. My first thing that I would ask the student is, tell me what you remember about the skydive. No, now let's say we're done with this. We're, so the, you, the student's told his version. This is what I remember. You say, hey, okay. this is what I remember. Mm-hmm. So you've given your version and his version, okay. and you've even watched the video. Okay. At the end of everything, hey, what do you, or what is, or how are, what question would you ask him now? Now that the full <laughs> debrief is understood. No idea. Mr. Grubbs. What did you like the most about the skydive? What's the second question you would ask him, Nick? Oh, wow. I don't know. I'm not good at I'm, this. I'm checking. I'm just seeing. I'm curious. Where do you think you could improve? And the third question, I'll go ahead and leave with you. Oh, man. Mr. Fudala. What's next? What's, what, next? what's next? What, what do we do next? next? So first of all, primacy recency teaches us we focus on the best first. So ask a student what they like best. But the real point of this is, Chris said, when I debrief a student well, when I debrief them well, they can immediately tell me everything I need without them debriefing. When you did your AFF course, you debriefed yourself without me helping because I learned how to debrief you. What do you like best helps them focus on primacy. What would you improve on versus what you did bad helps them focus on corrective action, not uh, problems. What do you do next? Hey, 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 Nick, you failed that skydive. I need you to repeat it. How cool is it to say that to somebody? What do you think? It's cool to say it. It's not good to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dick. You are straight yeah, up right. a dick. <laughs> that is the hardest thing to have to say to a student. It um, really is. It, it is. And I've probably told three to four students in my life that they need to repeat a skydive. Because I've been able to say, what would you, what would you do next? And I'm like, man, DJ, I, I think I can do that skydive better. I want to go improve on it. And that's renting versus owning a house. Hey, Chris, you need to repeat the skydive. He's going to invest in it because he wants to skydive. Chris says, DJ, I want to repeat it. He's going to invest in it more. So that's the importance of the three questions. But the thing that I think a lot of people miss is it's a litmus test. If Chris can't answer me, what do you like best? If Chris can't answer me, what do you want to improve on? What's that mean, Chris? Uh, That means I haven't debriefed very well. 
So what, and it goes back to, to ground prep buried. as well, right? Because when you go into the skydive, these are the objectives. This is what you need to meet. They should already know if they've met yeah. those objectives. In reality, it, it does go back to ground training. But if we end ground training well, and a ground training uh, review at the end is, hey, what's our goals? What's our objectives? So we should know that. So if ground training isn't well, then it does commonly mean debrief. Yep. So as a coach, as an instructor, if your students can't tell you at the end of a debrief what they like best, they can't tell you what they want to improve on, you haven't done a good job speaking their language. Right. Nick, I know you'll remember this. Does a good coach make a student learn his way, or does a good coach... Oh, I would say that a more experienced coach would have many different tools in that toolbox, and that it should be their responsibility to uh, read the student and teach them in a way that they're going to learn. And and there's no doubt, man, I, I agree with that. So... Chris, you came in, and, and what we were talking about here is the importance of self-debriefing. I want to kind of come back to you, Nick, for a second. How often do you watch videos that you shot, Tana videos? You do this for a living. Uh, I will watch almost every video that I shoot. Um, almost. Not all of them, but, but almost always. I, I, I almost feel like we've lost a step because uh, when I was a full-time videographer, we were still shooting on cameras with mini DV tapes. Where you had to actually play it back into the system to edit it? And so, yeah. Uh, well, the, the, that, but I didn't have to watch the edit. What I had to do is I had to rewind the tape to hand it to the editor so it was queued up. And a lot of guys would rewind it and find the beginning and hand it over. But I always rewound it watching it. I rewound it at speed so I could at least see my framing my composition, to see if I was shooting a good video. So I watched the majority of my videos to make sure I was shooting a good job. How important is that self-critique to you? Well, uh, I like it that it makes my job easier, and I just I like the work ethic of someone who wants to do a good job for a reason other than somebody's watching. So someone who wants to do a good job because it's important to them to do a good job, that's a person that I will talk to all day. And that I will give all of my advice to. But if someone... I, I get really frustrated when I feel like someone comes to me with a question because I'm the quick fix. That they've put zero effort, zero research, zero zero anything into this question that they're asking me. And they just come to me because they're too lazy to do anything else about it. That's really frustrating for me. But when I can tell someone's applying themselves and they're interested in the criticism I have to give and they're they're asking for it especially and, and I see them listening to it, I see them hanging on to it. And man, if you fucking take notes, Jesus Christ, you've just become my most favorite person in the world. But that doesn't happen all that often. Um, and I don't know if that's... Uh, to me, I, I learn really well when I take notes. Maybe maybe not everybody's like that. <clears throat> I just My memory's not that great. I feel like I hang on to a lot more when I write down the parts that were important to me in the moment, then I get to go back and, oh, yeah, that was, I remember that. Now, now I remember more because I have, you know, I remember writing this down. I remember what was happening while, while that was going on. But uh, what was your question? Sorry, I started rambling. No, that's okay. How important is self-critique and self uh, Oh, yeah, those are review. my favorite people to work with because it, it makes my job easier, and then the coaching that uh, I do give is a lot more effective. And I kind of started this section with Chris's AFF course. His ability to be self-critical and self-review is what made his course go so smoothly. Today, do you still – so when you're in STP, Skydiver Training Program is what we call it in Spaceland, which is AFF and coaching combined into one mega steroid program. It's a super powerful program. So much fun. Oh, dude. Our, our, it's, it's not uncommon that our jumpers at Spaceland with 25 jumps can outfly people at drop zones with 100 jumps. Um, we definitely have instructors who give a huge crap, dude. I met a guy actually this week, Brad Morrow, 
Did you meet Brad? Yeah, that was my student. Brad Morrow was from Pittsburgh, and Brad Morrow was researching skydiving and actually found Gravity Lab Radio uh, through looking at skydiving and found Spaceland through all of this process and found it was a dope drop zone. And, and so really, you know, we, we have people coming from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We've had people come from Germany. On the wall over there is a sign that says Donkey Chain. And that Donkey Chain was our first three Air our, fir- our first and a week students were three first German or were three German Air Force officers. English, Scotch. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's amazing what people come to for this program. But back to it, as an STP instructor, you shoot video of every single skydive you make. Yes. And today, many AFF instructors are wearing video. Yes. When you land, you're debriefing the student and you're focusing on their skill sets. But when they leave, do you watch your own videos? At least the ones that I don't feel like I was on my game. Like, 100% on my game. Like, I was there, I did my job, but there's those ones that I just kind of catalog in the back of my brain. There was something I could have done better in that particular sense, or whatever that skydive was. Um, I could have been in my slot sooner had I done X, Y, Z, something like that. And I'll go die, I'll just go break those parts down uh, as best as I can, and just re-debrief myself on, okay, I did this really well, but this is where I could have used this that this tool in a different way, or I could improve in this area if I ever see the situation again. Or I could just be back sooner. Even a simple thought like that. Yeah, so, you know, anything like that. Yeah, it it's super important that we're able to do that self criticism, that self critique, because you can't see yourself. You don't look at yourself. <laughs> but do you ever watch yourself on good jumps? Do you ever watch those videos? There are a couple of times. Yes, I will definitely like. And actually, I think Carlos will probably pull him out more than I do because uh, he, he likes he likes the jumps where students try to juke me. And those are the jumps where when they try to juke me, I'm I am on them so tight because, OK, you tried to juke me out the door. I immediately know that I need I need to just be on you. And uh, what do you think the importance of of watching your good videos are? You're, I mean, you went on a skydive. It was an easy skydive. The student was easy and you flew your slot and you excelled. Do you think it's important to watch that video? Absolutely. Why? It just it it reinforces it in my brain that I know how to do what I'm doing. I didn't I didn't get here without a lot of work and that every once in a while you need to see yourself perform to or at least allow yourself to acknowledge that you do perform to a very high standard in our program. So it brings you confidence in your ability to do your job. Yes. What's confidence bring us? Oh, man, I should know this. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Damn. Success. Uh, success, yeah, that's yeah. right. The more confident we are, typically the more successful we are. Not cocky. How do you measure that? How do you measure this statement? The, co- the uh, Confidence versus cockiness? No, the, the more confident we are, the more successful we tend to be. Um, understanding and being aware of your skill set. Understanding and being aware of your weaknesses. I think confidence comes with understanding your struggles and your weaknesses. If you don't recognize those, you're just cocky. That 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 is part of agreed. Uh, that's part of it. So that ability to recognize that, and then when you're confident enough in your skill set, then you will perform better. And it's proven through so many different ways and so many different schools. And uh, right now, I'm doing an audio book. Uh, there's a study at Stanford talking about the ability of success and improvement through. Through, through, man, what the fuck is that word again that we were just talking about? 
Confidence. Confidence. Thank you. Uh, I think you need to be more confident uh, in what you're saying, dude. I need more scotch. Um, <laughs> by the way, man, I'm shocked to see you with a Highland. That Deanston is a Highland. Yeah, yeah. I think something happened to it because it tasted a lot better when I opened it up the other day. I think it being in the heat too much because mm-hmm. it was it was. Yeah. I'd rather have the monkey shoulder than that. I'm trying to figure out which distillery I'm going to visit because Balvini is closed to the public. So. Oh, that's Aww. fucked up. Fuck you, Balvini. I, I know, you. right? I even emailed them and everything. Yeah. So uh, confidence brings what again? Success. So hopefully that kind of briefly answers your question, what measures it? Does it? I just don't know how you can effectively measure subjective feelings. Oh, oh, for sure. But when I watch a student train and when I can see them anticipate what's happening, when I can see them anticipate movement, when I can see them understand what to do next before next comes, then I know there's a level of confidence. That's how I measure it subjectively uh, in an objective, a subjective feeling in an objective way from the outside in. Can I tell you what I worry about a lot of being the guy that's like, okay, I got this. And then you fuck it up. That's when you fuck it up. I don't ever want to be that guy. (laughs) So that's where I believe in I'm capable of this. Yes. I got this as cocky. I'm capable of this as confident. That would be an internal version of objective insight of a subjective feeling. So how do you compare subjective to objective? He just did a class on this. Let's see how he passed. I can't even remember. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jay, if you're watching. I can't remember. My brain is still fried. Uh, subjective and an easy way for me to remember is the king's subject are subject to change based off of the king. Subjective changes based off a person. Objective. Objects are ever the same. Objects don't change. Objective are standards, criteria. They're objects that we attain. So an objective viewpoint is something that looks at a standard or criteria, a set goal, a set standard. Subjective is subject to change, and it's based off of, well, I like Chris, so I'm going to be nicer to how I review him. So that's how I remember it. Fair enough. And that was explained to you during your course, you forgetful son of a bitch. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay, man. I think I'm pretty sure I wrote it down. It's a brain (laughs) fried. It's a brain fried three days. You've been through the coach course. It's been a long time. It's been uh, almost six years. Imagine the coach course on steroids. And Justin, you've been through it as well. Imagine the coach course on steroids. Imagine how much eating through a fire hose that really is. And then three days of it. Yeah. Because the, the instructor examiner rating course, what Chris just went through to his final step to be an examiner, is three days of all ground training. Three days of all teaching. There's no jumping involved in this at all. It was still a good course, though. Oh, it's a great I course. Definitely looked, I learned a lot from that course. It was a lot of fun. But it's, it's taxing on the brain. Very taxing. I went to sleep very, very well every night. Jay and I stayed up and watched Lost in Space. Yes. Dude, I'm only three episodes in. Um, and, and if you've ever seen the original Lost in Space, which I grew up watching the reruns. I, I did too. It is a departure, no doubt. Like the Dr. Smith twist mm-hmm. through my mind. It's, she does a really good job, though. Dude, I thought the original Dr. Smith character that showed up was going to be Dr. Smith because it was a male character. I was like, oh! Yeah, I did too. And they fucking just turned it around. <laughs> fucking phenomenal remake. It's a remake, not a reboot. She's less pedophilic. Because <laughs> that original Dr. Smith, there was something going on He was there. creepy as fuck, yeah. dude. He was creepy. Did uh, Have you seen the Lost in Space thing on Netflix? No, I don't watch TV. If you like sci-fi, I feel lost in space. Really awesome, man. We always nerd out on shit like that. Yeah, dude, it's a nerd (laughs) show. Um, 
we, we were talking about the ability of self-debriefing, being self-critical. How often you review your skydives. The importance of reviewing it is to remind yourself your skill set and you're confident. Yes. I think some other things that, that maybe you process or you don't process is it's super important to look at you when you're really good at your job. So when you look at you when you're bad at your job, you can actually go, I'm better than this. Yes. Because without the standard, would you look at the substandard and understand how bad it was? Oh, yeah. I, I, well, you say yeah, but I think you say yeah, understanding, not yeah to. Yes, uh, I, yes, I understand. Uh, uh, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. So I just want to make sure we reiterate this point. It's very important to you to understand what a good student and good flying looks like. Yes. Because when you have bad flying, you understand your bad flying better. Oh, yeah. Very much. And so many people will only critique themselves when they fly poorly. They won't critique themselves when they fly well. Nick, do you ever do that? Look at your good flying so you have a baseline? Uh, I don't look at it as a base. I, I mean, when I do well, I do have this tiny bit of pride. And I think that that's the tiny. perspective from, <laughs> go fuck yourself, <laughs> that, that, uh, that I view those videos from of like, man, I guess I can, I can do this. Like, I do all right sometimes. Uh, and so I think that, the, yeah, it gives me a little bit of confidence and a little bit of like, yeah, I don't totally suck at this. It's all right. Now, the other thing, you, you say it makes you better by criticism. It makes you understand how good you can be. It gives you confidence. How much does it give you the reward of your job, that self-criticism? Uh, the reward I feel from it is ownership. Because if I can point out the same, if I can point out the same things that you or Nick Lott would point out for me, then that means I'm aware of what I'm doing. And so I own that. You don't own that. You may reinforce it, but I, the same thing we talk about with self-learning all the time. The most, the most powerful form of learning is self-learning. If I can teach myself what I'm doing, I'm going to, number one, I'm going to own it. But number two, I'm probably going to be more likely to fix it quicker. I would say as important that is, is that is self-learning is also one of the most difficult tasks because you have to ultimately be aware of what is right, what is wrong, and you have to have the humility to recognize your weaknesses. Yeah. Nick, you've done something that blows my mind, and I'm still chicken shit to do it. You, you challenged us as staff. We, we have a private secret group as Spaceland staff, and on a staff page, you threw out a challenge one day, and it was post to your Facebook page, to your own personal Facebook page, tell me my negative qualities. Do you remember this? Yeah, well, I, I set it up in a way where I, I think people are a little intimidated to uh, be direct with some, some types of criticism. And so I used a website called Suggestion Ox where you can anonymously leave feedback for somebody where I could say, hey, DJ, you're a fuckface. <laughs> you would never know that it was me <laughs> who said it. And so I thought that that might give, get people off the hook accountability-wise of like, oh, I don't want Nick to know that I said this about him because... It might affect uh -huh. our relationship or what he thinks about me or whatever. So I wanted I wanted people to have the ability to just say whatever they wanted to say. Like, hey, you're a fucking asshole in the morning. And I would say, yep, that's right. I'm going to try and be better. And it's like, whatever it was. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the saying, it's, it's easier to see a splinter in the eye of my brother than it is to see the log in my own. Meaning that it's much easier to point out faults in other people than it is to really uh, notice them in yourself. And so... Uh, I guess I, I noticed this when, 
you know, the video room, lots of people talk shit in, in skydiving in general, people in general. When someone comes in, this is what I would notice. Someone would come in, they do their thing in the video room, they would leave. Whoever else was left in the video room would be like, yeah, 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 chatter, 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 gossip, 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 talk shit about that person. And I was like, oh, do me. Like, pretend like I just left. Do me. What, what, do, you, what do you say when I leave? And I fucking hate the answer of like, oh, well, you know, nothing. No one really says anything. It's like, no, somebody says something. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I tried this in the video room. I tried it in the office. I tried it with family members. And it was really difficult to get that feedback from people. So that was where the idea of making it anonymous, of like making people, you know, they don't have to answer to my reply of whatever they, it was they had to say about me. They just get to say whatever they want to say. And I was disappointed that I still, I still didn't get very much. Did you get any feedback that hurt your feelings a little bit? No, which is a big letdown. <laughs> which it's, it's exactly what I was after. And I've thought I've thought about posting this publicly on on you know my regular Facebook, but I think that that's too broad of an audience. I don't know how many Facebook friends I have, but it's way more people than I know. Yes. So it's hard to value the criticism of someone who doesn't know you at all. Yeah. But uh, that that was my motivation and reasoning for why I set it up the way that I did. But I still. Uh, there was only one person that gave me really good feedback. Remember Hillary Hillary Bruce? Yes. I sat down with her and I was telling her about my, you know, my effort in trying to unveil these secrets about me. And she's like, "I'll give you one." I was like, "Okay, great. Great. Tell me." She's like, "Sometimes like you're trying to trying to like play jokes, make jokes and be fun. And sometimes I have fun with you because I want to. And sometimes I have fun with you because when I don't, you're kind of a whiny little asshole about it. <laughs> I was like, wow. that is, I don't know how, like how harsh the words were that she used, but that's exactly what I heard. And I know exactly what that is. Like when I was a little kid, I never learned how to lose. Like I would, this is what would happen. We play checkers. The family would play checkers. And if I didn't win, I would lose my shit. I would throw the board. I would lose my mind. And they just kept giving in to that. Like you could call my brother and sister right now and ask him what it means to play the Nikki way. That means that means you play in the way that you let me win at the end. Otherwise, I'm going to be a fucking asshole. And it just became easier for everyone's life to do that, you know? And I'm sure that that's grown up with me. Uh, it's it like, has. Yeah, yeah, I know that it has. I know that it has, and I see it in other areas of my life. And it's beneficial in the way that... I, I think that that's one thing that helps me to get what I want. It's a reason why I'm not good at hearing no. I'm not good at hearing, hey, you can't do that. I'm good at being like, well, you said that, but I'm going to figure out a different way. And so it drives me in certain ways, so I think it's valuable. But to know, to, to be aware of it gives me the opportunity to step beside it. Like when I have a, I've had a really hard time in the past dealing with breakups because I didn't learn how to lose. And so it's like I want to make a mess out of myself in hopes that this other person's going to cave to my shit, you know? And that's not, to, that's so automatic. I've done it for so long that it doesn't feel like a choice, you know? It doesn't feel like a tactic. It doesn't feel like a bartering skill. It just feels like I'm following my emotions. But in reality, I can be like, oh, I'm just trying to play the Nikki way, and that shit does not work <laughs> in this situation. So I get a step beside those emotions, and it gives me an opportunity to think of it differently. When you know, I realize that, hey, not everyone deals with these problems in, these, in this way right here, so what can I do different to, to change the outcome? Because making myself miserable isn't, isn't doing anything. So it was, uh, I think the way that she delivered that criticism was playful enough that it, it still didn't hurt my feelings as much as it, it was her calling me out on something. And man, I really, really appreciated it. That some, that even that she had the, I mean, one, that it's helpful to know that it's a thing that I do. It's great. 
and two that she had the guts to just say it to to me when I asked her was was equally great. If you've listened to the podcast or you've been friends with me long enough, you've heard me say this. If a friend gives a criticism and it hurts your feelings, do not say a word. Take 24 hours to digest what hurt your feelings. It probably hurt your feelings because it's true. You need to reflect on it and grow from it. If you wait 24 hours, you're either going to realize it wasn't true and it's not going to hurt your feelings and you won't fucking care anymore. Or it hurt your feelings because it was true and you grew from it. And it segues straight back to you, Mr. Fudala. I'm going to say November 2017, I sat down with you and I debriefed you after an AFF instructor rating course. We just finished training actually Sam Lombardo. Yeah. And at the end of an instructor course, I sit down with the evaluator and say, this is what you did well. This is what you can improve on. And this is the next step or the next uh, direction direction you need to go to achieve the goals you're on. And when we got done with that, I said, hey, man, can we talk friend to friend instead? And I told Chris, you are fucking up. And I don't think I held back. I don't think that was Sam Lombardo's course. Was it not? Whose was it? I don't remember, but Sam Lombardo's was in January. January. Okay. It was a November course. It was a November course, though. I I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. And, and and, And I didn't lay into you rudely, but I was blunt. No, but it was very necessary conversation. And the thing that you told me at the very end of the conversation, the first thing you said was two of the people I look up to most in the world just had the same conversation with me. Did Stephen tell you this? And Stephen Boyd had it with you two weeks prior to me, ballpark. And Stephen nor I knew that this happened. Neither one of us knew that the other one was going to do or do it. Mm -hmm. I think today we would know because Stephen and I, uh, now that he manages full-time and uh, and I consult with him a lot, we usually know what's happening with with each other. But you said it hurt. Yep. Yeah. And really, you weren't showing up. I had to take I had to take my medicine. That's basically what it was. After hours, you were partying too much that it affected your work life. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair statement. Right? I hope you don't mind. I'm throwing you on a bus here. No, no, fair statement. And those things hurt your feelings some. Yeah. How how did you deal with that? Took my lumps and changed my life, and just did it. And now I'm a uh, new. I mean, that, I mean, that that's the. It sounds simple, but that's really what it was, is, okay, I've been called out. I want this still. Fix it. You know, I want you I mean, to... That's, that's kind of the thought process that I went through. I want you to expand a little bit on that, and, and I guess the easiest way to do that is to give you a goal with how to do it. Mm. So I'm a new jumper. I have 250 jumps, and I say I want to become a coach, and I'm not anywhere near where I need to be mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm a full-time instructor who's arrogant and full of himself and has advice for everybody. And those instructors existed. You've met them. You've seen them. And we could probably say the same name at the same time. I still like that person, so I won't throw him under the bus. Yeah. But what advice would you give that new wannabe instructor or instructor that when they – and we see them. We see them all the time. They get advice. Very friendly. You're very constructive with your advice, Mr. P. You're very constructive with your advice, Chris. Now you're talking to Justin Grubbs, who just got, in Justin's terms, dressed down from myself or, or, or Mr. P. Yeah. But you know it was done as constructively as possible. What advice would you give that guy how to deal with it? Hmm. Let me make sure I understand the question. Sure. We're, we're talking about what advice would I give to the young up-and-coming coach or looking to earn that coach? Maybe? 
how to deal with the criticism that hurts your feelings. Ah. I would give them very much similar advice to what you said. Take it in. Digest it. Definitely do not respond right away. Because uh, I can tell you uh, from the first conversation with Steven and even the conversation with you, I had to just shut up, take my medicine, because I knew I needed that medicine. And then I had to take it home and digest it. Um, and so, yeah, when, 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 you're, when those kinds of things come from people that you look up to and respect very much, they're usually doing it out of love because they don't want to see you go any further down this downward spiral than you've already gone. And that's the way I see it. They're not doing it to be mean to you. They're doing it because they love you and they want to support you. At least that's the way I feel with you and Steven, right? Yeah. And then so, yeah, I mean... I would, I would give very similar advice to what you said. It's, you may not agree with it right now, but take it home and think about it and really digest it. As we transition to the next part of this conversation, I got to give him kudos. This is the best mic guess we've had in a long time. His mic awareness is strong. You're doing pretty good, kid. I'm concentrating on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, think, I think your suggestion of our changes is very helpful as well. Because I do notice when I switch back and forth from you to I, it is work to keep that mic. Down. Right, yeah. I've, I've had to mess with your levels a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm yeah, working yeah. hard to stay there. Yeah. You had to mess with mine? No. No. Those two ends, so if you're watching this... I don't really care when you talk. You can see I'm... <laughs> no, in, no, nobody does. You can see I'm in the middle if you're watching. If you're not watching, you'll notice... Uh, you won't notice that Chris is on my left, Nick is on my right, and we're in a line. So if I talk to Chris, I'm looking to my left, and as I talk to Nick, I turn 120 degrees, and so the microphone has to follow me. And, and so that's the, the change we made recently, is removing the guests. So I have the hardest job on the microphone, <laughs> which I, I'm okay with. We can switch. That. You want to switch? No, I'm good you with it, You want to switch right now? we got two minutes left. No, I'm good <laughs> with it. Um, so uh, criticisms, blah, blah, blah. You, 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 um, oh, critique. Make sure those people grow is what we're talking about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you're given these criticisms. Your criticisms. If it hurts your feelings, take it and grow from it. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, man, it, it, it's goddamn! I lost the tip of my tongue, so I'm going to come back to it if I need to and if I want to. Um, but I, I want to go backwards for one second and really go far backwards in your instructor training. We talk about shooting outside video versus being an AFF instructor. Shooting outside video is very important or, or very helpful to developing the skills to be an AFF instructor. Yes, I agree. As an outside videographer, how many jumps have you been in a sit and grabbing air for dear life on your belly on the same skydive? Every rollover spin stop cat D. So, so I can't, I don't know uh, the, the exact number. <laughs> so I'll put it in terms people can understand. On the skydive Chris describes, I have a goal of falling as slow as 105 and as fast as 145. 105 miles an hour, 145 miles an hour on the same skydive. And I'm going to go back and forth from each. So the speed range is immense. And going from sit fly to belly fly to grabbing air to sit fly is very difficult. Would you agree? Agreed. Now, you've done all of the above. A lot of people do that on the outside. But being inside, a lot of people say, I'm going to free fly to this piece. You're shaking your head no. People can't necessarily hear this. You're shaking your head no. What, why? Why? It's not as efficient. And I, I don't even know if that's the correct word. It's I much agree. harder to make a sit to belly transition and still maintain that level that you have to attack from and time it exactly right. If 
you take that extra half a second, just stay on your belly, get whatever speed you can, use whatever tricks you know to get going fast, but you take that extra half a second uh, on your belly, you're going to save yourself two or three seconds from a wasted transition. I mean, that's the only way I can really think about it. I, I never, even on live students, I never free fly into a slot. If they just so happen to get below me, I get in there. And I stand my belly the entire time. Save a second to get two seconds is how I say it in the course. And yes. really that's and you, you actually said it in very similar terms. You're gonna lose a second, but in the end said and done. Uh, if you're a great free flyer and you free fly down to the student and belly out, you suddenly have to find their speed. But if you can learn to match speed on your belly to your belly, and there's tricks and we'll teach you those tricks in, in AFF instructor training, then you can actually find the speed as you get there. Yeah. So that speed control is definitely an important thing. So, so shooting outside video is going to teach you something, but does it teach you everything? Not quite. Towards the last couple of courses I shot video for you, I stopped doing get down to my feet, whatever. I tried to do everything on my belly. Some I won, some I lost, but for the most part, I kept everything in frame. I remember some of them you lost and you coming down going, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll pay for my slot. I screwed up. I don't think you ever <laughs> had to pay for your slot. I don't think it was ever that bad. There were a couple that I thought were... Well, yeah. They were usable. Yeah. There were you, a couple that I was like, I'm not I'm not sure. I was way out. Usable is a very broad term, by the yeah. way. So uh, we, we're talking about criticism and, and receiving critique. If people tell you these things, if, if instructors are giving you advice, they're doing it for your betterment. And, and Nick, you're very good at giving advice as far as you're willing to help people. I yelled at someone in the landing area just this weekend. <laughs> yeah. How'd it feel? Awful. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately started apologizing, but I had fully lost my shit. Dude, this week I actually had a fella open under parachute close to me, closer than I've ever seen somebody on opening before in my life. Not on your same skydive? And he was not on my skydive. No, period. People have been on my skydive and never opened this close to me. I was that close to a canopy collision. It is by far the closest I've ever been. When we land, I can go up to this guy and say, what the fuck, you almost fucking killed me. And had I not pulled on a rear riser, I mean, my canopy sniveling as it spans open, as soon as it spans open, as soon as I have any flight characteristics at all, I pull on a rear riser. And I firmly believe had I waited two seconds longer, I would be in a canopy collision, maybe as short as a second. So um, going up to him, if I yelled at him, how would he receive it? Oh, he wouldn't have. Yeah. But the, so the person I yelled at was a pretty highly experienced person. And so I think he understood my frustration. Can I and ask who it is on the it air? It was Royce. Yeah, Royce Wilson. Okay. We were we were over at the pond. The pond had been <laughs> a mess. So we had a big event this weekend. A lot of uh, a lot of people who aren't usually here for one, and people who uh, aren't familiar with the you know landing at the pond. The cool thing about landing at the pond is you can do whatever you want. The shitty thing about landing at the pond is everybody else can do whatever they want. <laughs> so it, it gets it gets pretty hairy when nobody's following the the rules. And uh, he had got down below me, and then hit his brakes as hard as he could, waiting on nobody. And uh, he, he approached from a really funny spot. And so then I'm, I'm at the end of the pond, holding in as deep brakes as I can, still gaining on him a little bit. And I, that's when I started yelling. And I yelled, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I was upset from the get-go. I'm sure I, I didn't do as well as I could have on the jump as well. Maybe I was a little frustrated just trying to, you know, when you have a bad skydive, but a good, a good swoop and landing, how it cleans it up for you a little bit. Yes. I didn't get, I didn't get my moment. And I uh, had already seen a couple kind of sketchy things at the pond and 
was just kind of losing my mind of like, hey, am I the only one that cares about not like running into another parachute? Because that's how it feels. <laughs> and so I let my emotions get the best of me. So I was pretty loud for, for 20 seconds. Like, uh, dude, why are you getting below me to hang in brakes and you're waiting on nobody? And he said, yeah, you're right. And the moment he said, you're right, I was like, God, I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, if he would have argued with me, I probably wouldn't have come to my senses so quickly. But he was like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. I, I, thought, I thought I was seeing something that I wasn't seeing. <laughs> well, yep, still a dick. Sorry. So I apologize right away. But uh, I think I think if and I, I think I got upset because he's someone on an experience level who I just felt like he should know better. Sure. And if it was a new person who had a similar mistake, I probably would have had a very different approach to it. But um, I felt like he knew all the same rules that I knew and still did the wrong thing. And so that's why I got upset. I think part of the, the really uh, a twist of the story is, is I give a lot of credit to Royce. Because one of the things that we don't do well as human beings is we don't pay attention to the message. We pay attention to the delivery. Ignore the delivery of a pewter and pay attention to the message of gold. And that's what your delivery was that day. It was pewter. It was just cheap, shitty metal. But your message was gold. It meant a lot. There's safety. There's performance. And both are highly affected by this process. And Royce ignored how you delivered it and received the message. And as you're an instructor, as you're a coach, as you're a skydiver... I know sometimes we're not capable of delivering as well as we should, but ignore the delivery and, and Royce, mad props to the ability for him to say, fuck how you said it, Nick. Fuck you being an asshole. Thank you for helping me is what he saw. And if you're a jumper, listen to these things and understand that Nick is yelling because he's passionate. In other words, he gives a shitload of fucks. Chris Fudala is yelling at you. Hank, man, Henry Pruitt, he's been on the show. Who cares more than Henry Pruitt? Man, I don't know. He's got a big heart, that, that guy. But how often does Henry Pruitt... He gets upset. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's because he gives 20,000 fucks, man. So ignore these goal messages. Ignore these things. And really, I, I want to... We were pushing to wrapping up, and I want to wrap up, and I don't even want to wrap. I'm going to save. Chris, one of our biggest goals today was talking about your journey of becoming an examiner. We never got there today. Nope. So I don't want to talk about the journey. I want to save that for another visit. Maybe we'll have you and Hank together and tag team this. So maybe we'll have a day with you as the visitor, you back behind the desk, and Hank and Chris joining us as a crew. This would be a really fun crew. To Why would we not do that? Why would you? Why wouldn't you? And we'll talk about your goal, <laughs> your, your journey as an examiner. But... Let's not talk about the journey. I want to talk about the reward. Yeah. Congratulations. Woo! You are the newest coach examiner for USPA, and it is now official. We've seen it in paperwork. Beer. You're also <laughs> the <laughs> newest coach examiner for the rating center. How's it feel, man? I'm still at a loss for words. Uh, Jay asked me that at uh, close of course. Uh, he, he does like a little close of course interview. Sure. And I was like, I, I'm not even sure how to feel right now. Like, uh, there's one weight that's been lifted off my shoulders but then there's another weight simultaneously put back on june 11th <laughs> i i wouldn't even say just that it's just the uh after everything that i've learned from that course just one responsibility that i was putting on myself for the course was making sure all my documentation was ready and now something that having all of that documentation done submitted and everything is inks dry it's ready to go now there's a level of responsibility that i must maintain 
uh, it's a new mantle that I've ha- that I have to wear. And so I am still just not sure how I'm emotionally figured that out yet. Like, uh, maybe six. I'm, I'm excited for the road, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe three or four courses down the road. You've taught a handful down the road is when we'll have you and Hank on together again. Because, A, man, Hank has by far been our most popular guest. Oh, sure. And I, and I can see why. His stories are phenomenal. <laughs> but having you guys on together. And let's see what your, your, your feedback is then. Sure. Now, to close the show, I want to know, do you have any advice? Do you have any information? I am a skydiver. I want to become a full-time skydiver. No matter what level, videographer, instructor, packer, examiner, what would what advice would you give a new jumper who wants to become one of us? One of us. Um, don't do what I did. Uh, actually, like really plan out your goal. I would I would say because that first few months of you know moving in, getting everything situated, that's going to take a lot more money than you think it's going to take. So make sure that you've got that budget set up um, also realize that uh, Nick Lott uh, said this earlier this a lot of times this sport is feast or famine so you know plan ahead for those kinds of things uh, we had Harvey last year none of us counted on Harvey happening and being s- such a big effect as it was I am still feeling the effects of that uh, you know things like that so I mean make sure you have a very very good solid plan plan to live on ramen for the first few months until you get yourself established and that's not really all I can say. Not the ramen <laughs> I go to, because the ramen I go to is not 99 cents a pack. You know what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, definitely planning ahead. And, and I want to give you a little more credit than you gave yourself. You have done a better job than most planning on skydiving full-time. So you right. say, don't do what you did. I would actually recommend to people, do what Chris did. But do it better. Do it better. I can't disagree. And really a great example is one of my goals, one of the guests I would love to have on the show one day. And when she is in town and when I see she's coming to town, I am going to ask Katie Peel or Katie P to be on the show. And for me, the appeal is is you're a full-time skydiving female instructor. And a lot of females question whether they can do it. Katie P is perfect proof that you can. Another gal that I'm going to have on the show full-time is a gal named Ashley. Ashley Iacona. She's a full-time tandem yeah. and AFF instructor. So I really want to have these gals. She does video too, right? She does vid- I don't think she does. I might be wrong there. But Katie P did a phenomenal job setting goals. She said, I want to do this and came to me with 25 jumps. What do I need to do to become an instructor? I said, for the next 500 jumps, you're going to do this. I've never once in my life seen somebody do that. Um, oh, by the way, Nick, I mentioned Brad Morrow earlier, the guy that you worked with as a student. Yep. Brad walked up to me, and, and I was a manifest, and said, hey, man, I'd like to introduce myself, or I'd like to meet you is actually what he said. And he introduced himself, and, and very, very nice guy. And thank you, Brad, for introducing yourself first, and, and then got to know me. He's like, hey, man, I wanted you to know I'm a fan of the podcast, and thanks to you and Nick, my goal is to be the best belly flyer before I do anything else. That goal that you threw down to Henry Guyver of 500 belly jumps, I think Brad Morrow is picking up that mantle. That's what's up. So, Brad, mad props to you. Nick, mad props for throwing that challenge out there. And I, and I love that he's picking it up. Any other advice you would give to the wannabe instructor? Train, 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 train. Don't ever stop learning. Uh, and don't, yeah, take all the advice you can, especially while you're a young, young instructor. 
Justin, I want to ask you two questions for the closeout. And you're a part-time instructor, not a full-time instructor. So the two questions, and really I can only think of the one right now because I had the second one. Oh, the second one's easy. The second one is anything you want to say, that's the last part. Anything you want to throw out, any information you want to get out there. But the first question is, what would you recommend people who want to become a part-time instructor do to prepare and get there? Uh, I would say uh, what really helped me a lot was getting as much coaching as possible as well as coaching as much as possible um, because there's nothing like teaching in order to learn. Uh, I mean, you, you learn so much more through teaching. When I was in college, I, I taught uh, physics and calculus uh, part-time on the side, and I was taking Cal 3 and teaching Cal 1 and learned more about Cal 3 by teaching Cal 1 and just know that through my uh, engineering school that that's, that's the only way you truly develop that knowledge base. Um, what percentage, Chris? Also focus on what you want to do. Like you said, if, if you want to be an AFF instructor, focus on belly jumps. I mean, go have fun screw-off jumps, sure, but don't just go all the time try to go sit fly or whatever go you know jump with with people who are your same skill level go jump with people who are better than you are try to be the least experienced person on that skydive phenomenal advice dude that's fucking solid right there yes chris what percentage of retention so when we're learning motor skills we have a percentage of retention for example to learn a motor skill you have five percent retention of motor skill if i just lecture you well that duh yeah i'm not going to anything by you talking to me by teaching others, the, the, the National Training Laboratories is based out of Bethel, Maine. The National Training Laboratories found a percentage of retention based off teaching others. Do you know that number? I'm pretty sure it's 75. 75 is practice doing. Oh, is it 90? 90%. Yeah, 90%. 90%. Right. Practice doing. Yeah. The ability to teach others. And first of all, make sure you're teaching right. But no doubt, man, Justin, you talked about the importance of teaching and the importance of teaching, I think the emphasis you gave is you have to understand how to teach by observing great coaches. You worked a lot with Scott Lannis, and we've used his name more than once. You've worked actually with myself, with Chris, with other people. So you've had that advantage. Anything else you want to throw out there before we close the show? Just anything? Uh, just want to say congratulations, Chris. Very well deserved. I very much enjoyed yeah, uh, going through the course with you. and um, I, had fun. I, I, still, I still watch you debrief as long as I'm standing <laughs> around. Uh, I had fun working with you. That was fun. Mr. P, last question for you is last things you want to say before we close the show. And the first question for you is the most common thing people do to get into skydiving is they shoot video first or pack first. Chris gave the advice to packing. If I'm going to start as a full-time or part-time videographer, what advice would you give to get me started? Uh, I would get a camera helmet and cameras after talking to someone about what sort of camera helmet and cameras you should get. Uh, I think having a setup is really important and getting familiar with the setup on the ground. So getting familiar with your camera. Just learn the camera because you're going to have to do that when you start skydiving. And it's a lot easier to, to learn uh, the, the videographer, skydiver skill set when I don't have to teach you what the, what how how to make pictures right <laughs> so um get, get your setup together put it on your head and put it walk walk around with it on the ground practice taking pictures of things on the ground with your helmet on i i feel like it, especially um 
new people who are having a hard time uh, figuring out where the light should be. Like on a skydive, an experienced videographer, you, you just fly and put your back to the to the sun, right? Because that's where the light's coming from. That's what puts the light on your student's face. So do that. Think about it a bunch of times. Put your helmet on, walk around, practice taking pictures with, with light on people. And uh, get familiar with the bite switch. Get familiar with your camera. Get familiar with what buttons do what. I mean, a GoPro is pretty simple, but people still fuck that up. So get, <laughs> get familiar with uh, the, the sequence of pushing buttons. Learn how to format your cards. Uh, learn, the, learn when you need to use a flash. Learn when you don't. Uh, all, those, all those different things you can do without taking this gear on a single skydive. And then uh, watch a bunch of Tandem video. Watch what looks good. Uh, and uh, ask questions from those people about how they fly the slot that they fly and, uh, and what works well for them. I'd like to tag in on one, one piece of advice I think that would be important, and, and you might think otherwise. Get familiar with everything Mr. P just said, but also go lurk tandems without your camera. Go lurk tandems without your system, and just get comfortable individually flying with tandems before you combine the two. Do you think that's helpful? I would just wear like a GoPro or something. Yeah. Just because it's easier to with some sort of video. I can watch someone's video and be like, hey, yeah, yeah, you're there, you're close, whatever, but you need to think about being in this slot right here. So before someone gets super comfortable doing it, doing it wrong... I would say having having video, not necessarily video that you're going to try and sell to this person. You're not trying to take pictures. You're just trying to get there and, and get in a slot that a videographer would have. I would still take a GoPro just so that you could show someone like me or you or Chris uh, and say, hey, look, I'm chasing tandems. And I say, cool, get lower. So <laughs> really, the, the, I, I think the most important part is go when you're practicing shooting tandem videos at first. Go practice flying with video. And I like what you say, the camera so you can get feedback. Uh, so you can see where you were at. But you're not flying the full system. You're not worried about making the shot as much as you're worried about flying safely with a tandem. Right. And if you uh, another great thing is with a really experienced tandem instructor, especially a tandem instructor who also shoots video, they can if you're not shooting a video for this customer, they can coach you while you're chasing them. So get with someone who you know has a video, you know, video flying experience. If they fly a good video and they have a bunch of tandem jumps, chase that guy because he's gonna tell you to come closer, to get lower. He's gonna tell you what direction he's gonna turn, and you can have all of those conferences. You know, you you can brief and debrief all of that, and uh, not be, you know, the customer's gonna be just as happy because they're seeing someone else in free fall. You know, yeah. there's not really much you're gonna be able to do with that video product, but yeah. with you know five tandem jumps, then. Maybe if that person's cool, you're just going to say, hey, awesome, here, have this video that I shot. I'm learning how to do this. But, um, but uh, yeah, there are lots of, lots of different uh, opportunities to learn how to do it well other than just having your full setup and chasing tandems with it over and over. And, and think about it on the ground. This, so <laughs> this is a thing that I stress to, to get into someone's head every time I'm offering criticism that's that's not being, I don't see it implemented, is it's like, hey, I'm telling you this thing right now, and I'm not just saying it just to talk. I need you to think about it, and I want you to think about it on the ground so you can think about it in the airplane. And then when you think about it on the airplane, you're going to take a tiny, tiny bit of everything that you thought about on the ground. You're going to get a sliver of that in free fall. And I need you to focus on it so that you can get that sliver so we can build off of that. And so, um, yeah, visualization is huge. Thinking about it, I mean, listening to criticism is one is one thing, but really thinking about how you're going to implement it and, and do it different the next time instead of just giving in to habit, that's a, that's a whole other thing. 
a sliver turns into a slice and a slice turns into the pie. Boom, that's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> and really, you got to learn to build that sliver to get the rest of the pie. And that's what I want. I want the whole fucking pie. It's like warm apple pie. All right, we got to wrap this up. I was supposed wow. to be in bed yeah. three minutes ago. So as Justin starts to bring in that music, as Justin starts to go out, guys, gals, remember Gravity Lab Radio, our film festival is coming up October 20th, 2018. You can win a free GoPro 6. Last time they released a new GoPro and up the ante. You can win a Pro Track 2. You can win a Viso. You can win free jumps from Skydive Spaceland. October 20th, have your video ready. Make sure you're good to go. Till then, my name is DJ Marvin. This is Chris Fudala. This is Nick Lott and Justin Grubbs. We're Gravity Lab Radio. Blue Skies, we are out. Bye.